across North America on movie screens, dinosaurs are coming back to life today in the new movie Jurassic Park. The eagerly awaited film was greeted by long lines at special sneak previews Thursday night. Some experts are predicting the Universal Studios picture could generate as much as $50 million in box office business this weekend. And Sid Scheinberg, president of Universal's parent company, MCA, tells the Associated Press he thinks Jurassic will be the biggest picture of all time. Amid widespread criticism that the PG-13 film is too violent for young children, most viewers had nothing but rave reviews. It was fantastic. It was so scary. It, it really was the most exciting film I've ever seen. I think if not for the, for the laugh lines in it, people would have had heart attacks. But they were able to get such a visceral, immediate response. I mean, it didn't say this is an effect. It was like, bam. It's the best picture I've seen in about the last 10 years. Hey everybody, welcome to Seen It All with Jeff and John, the podcast where we break down our favorite scenes from our favorite movies. I'm Jeff Glover. And I'm John Zabriskie. And in this episode, we're going to hold on to your butts. That's right. <laughs> hold on to your butts. Hold on to your butts. That's right. We are talking about a scene from the 1993 blockbuster action adventure, Steven Spielberg directed classic that's as many adjectives as I could think of. <laughs> Jurassic Park. There it is. Welcome to Jurassic Park. We've made living biological attractions so astounding that they'll capture the imagination of the entire planet. The most phenomenal discovery of our time. Becomes the greatest adventure of all time. Can I touch it? Sure. Universal Pictures presents. You feel that? Hold on to your butts. A Steven Spielberg film. Fences are failing all over the park. Yeah, that's nice. Gotta go. An adventure. Look out! can't get Jurassic Park back online. 65 million years in the making. Jurassic Park. <laughs> Beautiful. You sound just like him. <laughs> well, apparently to sound just like him, I'd have to blend... A uh, dog, penguin, tiger, alligator, and elephant. Oh, how great. Real menagerie, if you will. That's, uh, that's something we're going to be talking about a lot, I think, in this uh, scene and in this movie is the special effects work and how amazingly it still holds up. Um, I really enjoyed rewatching this. I, you know, I've seen Jurassic Park countless numbers of times, um, but it's been a while since I watched it all the way through. And, wow. Um, it's been a while. And it really does. It really does hold up. And the special effects even really hold up. Oh, absolutely. I think this is just special effects extravaganza. Just when you're talking about movies that really push the envelope of special effects, you're talking about the big movies like Star Wars. You're talking about your choice that started off our show mm. many, many moons ago. Uh, Terminator 2 and Jurassic Park, you'd have to throw in there. And I have some... Um, I have a little bit of background about why that is, but uh, hmm. by all means, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, you chose uh, this movie for mm -hmm. us, and um, I'm I'm guessing we have a pretty similar 
history with this movie, at least when we saw it for the first time. But I'm curious to hear about your personal history with Jurassic Park. Um, did you see it on opening weekend like most of us did? Oh, I'm sure I did. I think this is one of the movies I saw twice in theaters. Yeah. Um, I believe I saw Last Crusade a couple of times, I, I think. But I know for sure I saw Jurassic Park at least twice in theaters. It's just that, you know, blo- made for a theater kind of blockbuster, kind of bring people together and really putting on a show, putting on a spectacle um, that you just had to see. And there's so much to see that, yeah. Seeing it multiple times was it was almost mandatory back in '93. I was jazzed to go see this in mm-hmm. the theater when it came out. Like the, I had I had read the book in middle school before seeing the movie, oh. and um, I had read the book before um, even knowing a movie was going to come out. It was just a book that had been recommended to me, and I read it and I loved it, and then like a year later after reading it, I started seeing the trailers for it. And uh, I was just so excited to see this book come alive. And it was a family affair. Like we all, you know, my parents, myself, my sister, we got tickets for that opening weekend. And, you know, this is 93. This is pre-internet, of course. And and uh, nice. so you're going down there and there was a lot of uh, waiting in line. We had yeah. to wait in line just to buy the tickets. Mm -hmm. And then after you buy your ticket, you have to wait another long line just to get into the theater. And uh, it also felt like, I don't know what your experience was at the time, but it felt like there was very little organization to all of this. (laughs) And it was just like mobs of people at the theater going to see Jurassic Park. Um, But it, it definitely stands out in my mind as, as this event, um, this pop culture event that we were all a part of. And it was a packed theater, you know, not a single seat available. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, back then there was no reserve seating, of course. So everyone's just like flying into the theater as fast as possible, like throwing their coats onto chairs, saving seats for their family members, you know, mm-hmm. just oh, yeah. each each person for themselves situation. Um, but yeah, man, we got in there and and the film played and uh it was it was life changing. It was it's up there, like you said, with Terminator Two, that theater experience. Um, it was just uh, awe inspiring. It was it was an amazing, amazing movie to see in that moment of time. Oh sure, and, and I think what Jurassic Park has over Terminator Two is that it's PG thirteen, the rating, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it's definitely more tame in some areas. I would argue that it's way more intense in other areas. Like anytime the dinosaurs are interacting with people. Uh, probably more intense than a lot of Terminator 2, that kind of action, that kind of like intimate person-to-person action versus a T-Rex trying to eat you or a T-Rex eating you for that matter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, this is like Spielberg just like, oh, you know, opening up his plumage and showing off, you know? (laughs) Oh, yeah. He is just uh, showing that he is a master of building suspense and a master of building a scene from beginning to end and he can manipulate the audience into feeling exactly what he wants them to feel. And it's the scene in particular, we're going to talk about like probably the most famous scene in the movie Mm -hmm. um, is the number one prime example of that. Absolutely. You're talking about suspense. Um, I, I feel like sometimes watching bits and pieces of these movies, you feel like maybe a director had, the calling to make certain type of movie, but they would have also been good at making something else. And Spielberg 
probably would have been better, not better, but he would have been one of these top directors if he chose to do different genres like a thriller, like a suspense movie, mm. maybe even like a horror movie in some ways, or it's building that suspense and um, right, releasing it and sometimes super violent, just aggressive, uh, almost nihilistic <laughs> yeah. um, variations. Well, he knows how to do horror and violence in a way that still grabs that PG 13. Right. You know, cause it, there's a lot of horrific stuff that happens in this movie. A lot of people die, um, yeah. but you don't get the gore necessarily, even when we'll talk about it later, but even when the dinosaur just like chomps <laughs> the lawyer guy off the toilet, uh, we don't see blood and gut spray everywhere. You know, it's more like uh, the T-Rex kind of, eating a snack off the table. <laughs> right. That's more like the Indiana Jones movies. He, yeah. You know, yeah. He had, he had some of that gore turned up, like the heart ripping scene. Yeah. Uh, the right. guy's head exploding, the guy's head melting and Raiders. Yeah. The guy turning instantly old and <laughs> last crusade. Right. He, right. The guy being eaten alive by ants in the kingdom, of the crystal skull. Like, he, yeah, he knows his, he, yeah, he knows his creature stuff, and and sure, yeah, Jaws, of course, right? Yeah, of course, Jaws. That's that's yeah, something. If I had written a little bit more of my own own thought notes, um, I would have definitely have referenced Jaws a few times here. Where yeah, we're about this is probably scene. the. Uh, sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. Oh no, no, I was I was just saying that the, the big connection I make when watching this is Jaws, comparing yeah. it to this scene. Exactly. That's all I was going to say is this is the closest he comes to making Jaws again, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is basically Jaws, but with a T-Rex in a dinosaur park. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And children. (laughs) And children. Throw some kids in the mix. Thankfully, uh, something I was reading about was like some of the ways that this story could have been was way more from the kid's perspective. And I'm so glad they didn't do it. Um, I was watching it that I was watching it this time with that in mind, um, you know, beginning to end. And yeah, there are some kid parts. There's some kid adventures with the velociraptors in the kitchen specifically and um, in their interactions with the T-Rex and this scene we're talking about today. Uh, But really it comes down to the adults and the lessons they're learning. It's not the kid's, giving, you know, some kind of Spielbergian wisdom that mm. you might expect. Like they're not the ones saying like, well, you know, grandpa John, like you, you really shouldn't have done this with the dinosaurs. Like maybe it should have stayed in the dirt. Yeah. Yeah. But your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Right. It's, it's not them. It's actually adults, like educated adults delivering this message. And I think that's part of the reason I can watch this again and again, versus if it's a kid's movie more from their perspective, I, I start to lose interest as an adult. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where do you, speaking of Spielberg, uh, are you, is Spielberg kind of like one of your guys? Are you a big Spielhead? <laughs> I, I'm a, yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big, I, I think I am a big Spielhead because um, we've clearly talked about, the Indiana Jones movies quite a bit, that being one of our episodes Um, and E.T. and Jaws, uh, Jurassic Park here, of course. Uh, But about, I'd say he's one of my guys up till this era. era. But after this, that's where he starts to go way more into the, um, 
what would you say the the serious direction? So the same year, he's he's also directing Schindler's List. Yeah, that's wild that those two <laughs> movies came out in the same year. They came out in the same year. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So he he's definitely leaning more serious by the end of this year and going much more in that direction. Um, he still does play with other genres. He'll he'll still come back to sci-fi. Yeah. Um, which is nice with things like Minority Report, War of the Worlds. Um, you know, there's some historical dramas I couldn't care less about, except for Lincoln. I thought Lincoln was awesome. Mm. Um, he directed, directed Ready Player One back yes. in 2018, which he was did. like such a random thing for him to be doing, unless he's, you know, building a new mansion or something that year. <laughs> he may have been. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what he was drawn to about that, except that I know I really like that movie. So I guess in a way, if you would say, is he one of your guys? Yeah, he has to be one of my guys up there with uh, George Lucas and Edgar Wright and maybe yeah, a couple Sp- others. Spielberg has one of the most interesting histories as a director uh, i mean he's you know uh, made some amazing films and some mm-hmm. true classics and uh you know i love it's interesting just looking at the list like you know he kind of comes onto the scene with duel and then of course blows up with jaws at that point kind of has a blank check and he makes close encounters and then raiders later and et and he's just killing it right Mm-hmm. And, uh, but then, you know, you talk about like, he kind of went to a more serious turn in the late nineties. He kind of did the same thing in the mid to late eighties. Like after temple of doom, mm-hmm. he does the color purple and then empire of the sun. And then he comes back to the, back. Uh, back, uh, Indiana Jones franchise, of course, for the last crusade and then does hook. And then we get Jurassic park and then he's kind of cuts back into Schindler's list and later on Amistad um, and saving private Ryan. And, mm-hmm. um, and those are all, all of those are just great movies. Um, I don't know about hook, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I like hook and weirdly I have always liked hook just because it's so fantastical, but uh, it's definitely one that I've heard over and over on like all the movie podcasts I listen to that just people say doesn't age well. And um, yeah. I kind of maybe am in denial about that one. I liked Hook, I think, when I was 11. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen Hook in probably 20 years, so I probably sure. can't speak to it, uh, uh, honestly. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It never stuck out as one of my favorites by him. But it, it, my point is he does this thing where it seems like he kind of does some passion projects and then he'll come back to a blockbuster, you know, mm-hmm. and he'll do that. And then he'll go back to some more serious uh, projects and then come back to a blockbuster. And um, yeah, I, I find his filmography kind of fascinating, um, but uh, it's hard to find a bad movie in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what your feelings on the war horse are. <laughs> but. I never, never saw it again. Historical <laughs> drama. I mean, not normally a yeah, yeah. film I look, look for, except for Lincoln, which I just, Right, you could tell it was going to be good with Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, Daniel Day Lewis, he's so good in that. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I um I think if people had to pick out like his kind of his tentpole films, they'd say Jaws. Um, they'd probably uh, say Jurassic Park. Uh, say Raiders. And, uh, Raiders, yeah. And so it's it's kind of fun to look at one of these big projects right in the middle of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, really flexing his muscles here, kind of laying it all out and really, we'll talk about it more, but really understood the, um, the limitations and the, what's the word I'm looking for? And, 
sorry, I'm talking about special effects. Like he understood how to balance <laughs> how to balance CGI with practical effects in at the time probably one of the most coherent ways. Um, and we'll get into it more because th- that is completely on display in this scene. But uh, it really, it's really impressive. Sure, yeah, it's 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 really really inspiring to see someone who consistently is pushing that boundary as far as special effects, um, visual effects, special effects, CG, what have you, and the the blending of those. And he's he's always when you're reading about these kind of budgetary things with his movies, you're always reading about. Right, having that budget and like just really being able to stretch it, even in something like Jurassic Park, in which he was probably spared no expense to quote John Hammond, um, but he was still really pushing to 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 get every cent out of that budget. Yeah. Um, whoops, lost my headphone there for, for uh, a second. <laughs> and and he understood also that he can't lean one hundred percent on the CGI. Like the technology just wasn't quite there yet to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. And had the foresight to to mix in the practical effects with it. And, and um, you know, it's kind of similar to what you see in, in like to grab another movie from that decade, like Starship Troopers, I feel like does the same thing very well, where it mixes right. practical and CGI effects very, very seamlessly. And um, yeah, it's, it all comes together really well. We'll get into it more in, in the scene breakdown. Um, but mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, before we do get to the, the scene, can I indulge you for a moment with a little sequel talk? Please, because you texted me and said you were watching two and three. And I, I seem to remember like not necessarily liking two and three, except for like a few moments here and there. So you didn't watch them in uh, preparation for this podcast? <laughs> I, I did not. Oh, <laughs> sorry, man. What are you doing? <laughs> Where's your dedication? No, I would not expect you to sit through those movies. I I did it just because when you um, said we were going to do Jurassic Park, you know, I've seen the original tons of times and right. I kind of know the beats of it forward and backwards. Um, but I realized that I hadn't seen the sequels probably since they came out. And when I actually watched them, I remembered seeing part two. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a few of those scenes, like I was like, oh yeah, I remember this part. But uh, as a whole, I, I really had forgotten most of it. And then part three, I'm still not sure if I ever actually saw it. I, I may have watched it for the very first time a couple days ago. Oh, sure. If I saw it back then, I don't rem- I didn't remember a thing about it. Um, and these sequels are- Macy. What's that? William H. Macy. William H. Macy. That cast of these movies is crazy. <laughs> um, the sequels are fascinating. Like yeah. part two, which is again with the naming conventions. We talked about this on uh, Rambo. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the second one is called The Lost World colon Jurassic Park. And the third <laughs> one's just called Jurassic, Jurassic Park, Park 3. <laughs> <laughs> the three is a Roman numeral made by bloody T-Rex scratches. Yes, that's what I remember most about the movie. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably one of the better parts. Um, um, but Lost World was directed by Spielberg. It was. And I... <sighs> I have such a hard time. If someone showed me that movie and was like, who directed this? I would not say Spielberg. (laughs) It does not feel like a Spielberg movie to me. It is a giant mess in my mind. Like Mm -hmm. all the nuance of the original is removed. And 
you know, it's, I, I liken it to like a, um, a horror movie sequel where they mm-hmm. just immediately dive into a high body count and mm-hmm. throw out the story in place of just lots of people dying in action. And that's what you get in the lost world. It's, it jumps right in with military on the Island and there's, you know, lots of action, like kind of a nonstop action sequence and it's all very convoluted. And, um, man, yeah, it's, <laughs> and then it, it ends with the T-Rex in the city. <laughs> like yeah, they, in San Diego. They, yeah. They went full, uh, Friday 13th, part eight, Jason takes Manhattan. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and man, I, it did not, I'm sure there's people that like that movie, but it did not really work for me. Um, and then part three, um, this might be a controversial take, but I think part three was better than part two. Um, they did bring back Dr. Grant. They brought back the great Sam Neill. Um, and so he's in that one and yeah, William H Macy and that was just a little better, but, um, just a little better, better, but is it part two or part three that Vince Vaughn is in? I think he's in part two. Oh, Um, I thought he was part three. Uh, gosh. Put me on the spot. Well, when I saw Vince Vaughn, I was like, what? <laughs> Why, what is Vince Vaughn doing here? <laughs> this is the craziest casting choice ever. No, it's part two. It's part two. Okay. Yeah. And also, like, Jeff Goldblum is the main character that comes back in part two. And yeah. to me, feels like a completely different character. Yeah. Other than the black leather jacket, like his... His whole personality seemed different. Julianne Moore, who's a fantastic actor, is in it and is not good, although she's given a terrible script to work with. <laughs> the best thing I can say about it is uh, the guy, um, Carl Hungus from uh, <laughs> from The Big Lebowski. is Yeah, Peter in, Stormare. Uh, My name is Carl been expert. Yeah, Peter Stormare is in part two, and so that was great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, anyway, wow. I, I so- just had to uh, – I had to – give you my thoughts on the sequels because i i spent four hours watching them so i felt like i had to at least drop a little bit in there <laughs> which is the one where the guy wants to hunt the male the buck that's the part two play. yeah part two part the the that's the other thing that that was fascinating to me is that the storyline in part two at least sort of makes some sense Right. Sort of. In part three, it's so um, contrived. Like, Dr. Grant is met by this couple, William H. Macy and Taylor Leone. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And they convince him to come to the dinosaur island um, under the guise that they are like world travelers, like adventure travelers, and they've been all over the world, but they want to come to this one place. And, and they promise to write him a check and pay for his whole. Um, archaeology thing that he's got going on and he's just like okay sure he just goes and then he finds out that they're actually there to look for their son and that they don't actually have a lot of money and i'm sitting there like why did you not demand a check up front (laughs) like right call your financial advisor dr grant like this is a terrible idea (laughs) oh man it's been too long so yeah i i'm glad you're recapping and that you've Put forth this effort for this show. Thank oh, you. You know, I, um, I, I, I bring, I bring it. I bring the research, uh, <laughs> except when I don't. I <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, the sequels are bananas. Um, I 
don't know if we want to even talk about the Jurassic World sequels. I'm not a fan. Oh, um, I, yeah, I, I could spend a podcast just saying how bad I think those movies are, just how much I dislike them. And really, yeah, I for me, it comes down to the characters. Like, I couldn't care less about the characters. They're all right. kind of annoying and generic. Mm-hmm. Not a good combination. I never, I saw the first Jurassic World. I never saw the next one. Um, it's what all the sequels are missing, as I mentioned this earlier, but the nuance and the the storytelling of the first one and the mm-hmm. the willingness to kind of hold back. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 it, you know, and reveal the dinosaurs and reveal the scenes at the right time in the right way. And that's just missing from all the other movies, I have to say. Oh, absolutely. And you mentioned, and I think I even uh, texted this to you, but you mentioned a uh, high body count as the sequels go on. Like yeah. high body count means nothing to me. Uh, you just, just give me the story and make me care about the characters. And I'm into any story really. It's just, just there's so many times like Jurassic park two, where the guys are being mowed down in the field by the velociraptors. It's a cool visual, but like, yeah. if you don't care about them, then you're just saying it's a cool visual. The same thing right. happens. I'm sure in three, um, but the, and then the world movies definitely do this. There's always some kind of band of bad guys and yeah. the bad guys always meet their doom. Like, Oh, you didn't learn the lesson from the previous four movies that <laughs> you're not going to hunt these successfully. They're going to hunt you and they're going to kill you. Like we get it by then just yeah, yeah, make, make, that, it, make it more interesting. That's a really good point. Like without, without any care of, for the characters, it just becomes a bunch of people getting killed by dinosaurs and, if that's what you're looking for, then go watch part two. But, you know, to, to part three's credit, they do unfold the story in a little bit more of a methodical, careful way. Okay. Um, and the the cast is way smaller, which I think helps. It's what makes this movie so good is the the cast is relatively small and you get invested in all the characters. In, in part two, there's literally hundreds of people on the island and you can't keep track of like one person's motivation to the next, honestly. Yeah. And uh, it all just becomes convoluted. So, yeah. Uh, and the, yeah. the people who die in this movie, like you definitely, you definitely feel that you came to know them in, in, in a small way, at least. Yeah. Like even if you're general. laughing at them getting eaten off of a toilet, yeah. <laughs> you're feeling something. <laughs> <laughs> You are, you are. <laughs> All right. Well, um, do you have anything? Well, we should talk about it. Um, I don't think we actually said what scene we're going to be covering. So what scene no, are we going not. to be it's, covering? It's, it's in the title. It's in the title. Okay. <laughs> if you're looking at the podcast title, I guess maybe covering up the rest of the title other than Jurassic Park in 1993. <laughs> uh, but in this scene, we are talking about the T-Rex entrance to the yes. movie to the characters to the world at large um, to the however many millions of people saw this um, in the theater or on vhs or dvd or blu-ray or whenever you're seeing this for the first time sure this is the, the t-rex showing up for the first time in the movie where it breaks out of its pen and attacks the people in the jurassic park Special edition Jeeps. Yes. <laughs> I want one of those SUVs. <laughs> I don't know. They look. <laughs> <laughs> they do get kind of beaten up, don't they? They're kind of beaten up, yeah. But that, that's the scene. Big scene. Um, the reason I chose this scene, 
Uh, for me, um, I watched this movie just a couple months ago because every once in a while, probably every couple of years or so, I have a hankering mm. to watch this movie, Jurassic Park. And to me, the scene that always makes me feel the most tense uh, is this scene. This, still, this scene still gives me the chills. It still feels tense to me. And to me, it is the climax of the movie, whereas mm. everything that happens after it is on the downhill side of the movie, not to say that it's bad or anything like that, but this is definitely the most tense It's the largest of the dinosaurs um, in the movie. And well, not the largest, of the dinosaurs, I, sorry, I'm misspeaking, but um, it's, de- it's definitely the deadliest. I would say it's the most havoc wreaking of the dinosaurs. Uh, so to have this right in the middle, right at about an hour and one minute into the movie, right at the midway point of an almost just two hour movie, God bless. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just it just really really tells you what's at stake right away. Whereas everything leading to this just kind of been a little bit problematic here and there, kind of like minor hindrances for the characters. This is where we're truly introduced to the danger um, that dinosaurs bring to humanity. Trying to put two species, like they say, separated by sixty five million years, um, that, that they could bring such terror and such uh, destruction. And this is really um, telling us as an audience and telling the characters like, like dinosaurs bringing them back to life is, is just a fool's errand. <laughs> like you, you, we shouldn't be doing it. And here's why. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is the showcase scene. Like there's foreshadowing earlier in the movie when Dr. Grant says you, you have a T-Rex. How fast are they? Well, we clocked the T-Rex at 32 miles an hour. T-Rex? Mm-hmm. You said you've got a T-Rex? Uh-huh. Say again. <laughs> we have a T-Rex. Right. And at that moment, we all realize, oh, we're going to see a T-Rex. We're going to see a freaking T-Rex. We're going to see a T-Rex. And so after that point, we're all everyone's just waiting until the moment that we get to see the T-Rex. And so right. this it's, is it's, it. It's, it's the T-Rex who's on the merchandise, on the Jeeps. Right. On your lunchbox, yep. on your cell phone case, on your backwards hat as you listen to your Jurassic Park rap music, on your Jurassic Park Walkman. It's the <laughs> T-Rex. It's the T-Rex show. And this is where he's shown up for the first time. And they obviously do an amazing job as we've been yes. uh, mindlessly bowing down to them about. <laughs> well, should we get into it? <laughs> Let's do it. It's just a peek behind the curtain. Um, yeah. I wrote a, I, was, I, I had the time today a little bit of time right before recorded to write down the recap for the first part, but the second and third parts recapping is going to be an adventure, a real uh, whirlwind. We're going to do it live as they do say. It live. Do it live. We'll do it um, live. Yeah. John does a great job writing these uh, scene recaps for us <laughs> and um, pull back the curtain even more. We are recording this three days before Christmas in 2021. Hey. So, we're both uh, a little busy right now. So um, we're, yeah, I'm going to do my scene recap here for, uh, I'm going to read John's scene recap here for part one, part two and part three. We're going to kind of wing it a little bit when we get there. So bear with us, uh, everybody at home. Bear with us. But uh, part one, this is going to run from one hour, one minute and six seconds to one hour, three minutes and 45 seconds. The scene opens on the chained-up goat in the Tyrannosaurus pen in the rain, and the camera moves to show Alan Grant checking in on the kids and Gennaro. Is it Gennaro or Gennaro? Gennaro. Uh, yeah. The smarmy lawyer. 
Yeah, I'm just saying, yeah, because I have no idea. In my mind, he's always just a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> lawyer. He runs back to his Jeep to update Ian Malcolm, who explains that the kids are scared, but he himself is not scared. Cut to one of the kids putting on NVGs and looking around the Jeep and the T-Rex paddock. He checks out the other Jeep in night vision. Cut to Alan and Grant drinking some rainwater from a canteen. We cut back to the kids' Jeep, and the kids notice the water rippling in the cups. Tim puts the goggles back on. He notices the goat is gone. He asks where it went to, and a severed goat leg hits the glass sunroof. We cut to the kids' view from inside the Jeep looking through the window in the rain, up at the T-Rex as it gulps down the goat and turns to look at the Jeep. Gennaro, lawyer, runs out (laughs) of the Jeep and to the nearest bathroom, and Ian makes a joke about when you gotta go, you gotta go. Gotta go. Mm-hmm. Um, what I like about this section of this scene is that everything that's happening here is meant to tell us that the T-Rex is close without really showing us the T-Rex. Yes, yes. It's like we're talking about before the scene recap here, uh, comparing the Jaws movie. Yeah. The Jaws movie uh, awesome. to this movie and and introducing the shark in the same way as the Mm -hmm. T-Rex where you, well, I guess what's different with the shark is that it is wreaking havoc without you seeing it uh, versus the T-Rex is not really wreaking any havoc yet. It's just, it's just approaching. So like going above and beyond the the shark introduction, um, that would be, I guess, how would you liken that to to the, the jaws scenes? It would be something like, Oh, like, we heard of we heard a shark is nearby and like you just I guess hear some water splashing. It's, it, it's, it doesn't it doesn't really compare. There's it's it's hard because there's nothing I can compare this to from the past. Maybe a Godzilla movie, which uh, Spielberg says he was partly inspired by, where you'd hear uh, you know the sounds and the ground shaking right. of Godzilla. But uh, this is something completely different. Yeah, well, the Jaws comparison, I think, is apt, and and it's a little different, you're right, because in in Jaws, the shark is, you know, killing people and wreaking havoc before we fully see the shark. But um, there are lots of ways that they creatively show Jaws, like, following them or coming after them without actually showing them. You know, the famous part is, like, when Jaws gets caught on the buoy, and, the, mm. and all you see is the buoy flying through the water. Oh, I that love you can't that part. Yeah. The shark. yeah, it's such a great device to show you the shark without showing you the shark. And in this case, we have a couple things they do. And the most famous, of course, is the, the, the water in the cups giving us the ripple. Um, which is just a classic, classic moment in this movie. Um, yeah. But also, you know, when he looks out the window and sees that the goat is gone, that's telling us, Oh, you know, yeah, like, like the, the little chain is just kind of now hanging. Yeah. It's like that little dangling <laughs> leash right there. Right, right. So ominous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but that, uh, you know, who doesn't remember seeing Jurassic park for the first time and watching those water cups ripple and just having like, your own ripple going down the middle of your back, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and I think um, part of what plays, I guess this as its own thing, its own beast, uh, if you will, is that the T-Rex is something that people are familiar with, but we know don't exist anymore. Whereas the shark, sorry to make all these jaws comparisons, but that's kind of how it is uh, with Spielberg. Um, But with the shark, like, 
sharks exist in the real world and people have probably seen right. sharks right. in right. aquariums with the t-rex though like you, you you kind of have an idea of what it looks like you've seen the skeleton maybe in a museum you've seen like the little versions of the toys but you haven't seen like the full scale of a living breathing yeah. t-rex uh, i think i want maybe i'm wrong about this one but i think King Kong fights T-Rexes in the first movie, if I'm correct, or uh, Mm. one of the first King Kong movies. Uh, But at that point, it's like the stop motion, Harryhausen kind of just really kind of clanky, janky recreation uh, that we look at now. Um, But at the time, right, it was probably incredible to see, but you're having to like put people with reprojection of like these little models fighting. This is something we, we like as a kid growing up in the eighties, like we were, you would know like what the danger this, this creates, but you are on the edge of a seat. You just cannot wait to see this on the yeah. big screen. You just like, you, you know, it's going to be this badass, larger than life, terrifying creature um, being introduced to the characters here, but you, you don't quite know how it's going to be introduced. And when, when Liz introduced, like you're saying, they're still like only revealing glimpses here and there, which is hilarious. Cause this, this is huge kind of clumsy, more or less dinosaur, as we see in the scene and later on in the movie that it's not like elegant. It's not, you know, by any means like a dancer on prehistoric legs. It's just kind of running into things and trying to bonk things over, um, take things by force, but it is just, yeah, this, this, Awesome introduction. And like you're saying, the ripples in the water, that boom in the ripples form. Right. And the lawyer kind of looks up slowly in realization (laughs) that something is coming. And he he looks in the rear view mirror and the rear mirror kind of vibrates. Like if you had a couple (laughs) subwoofers in your trunk, you know, you get that. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's so great. And at the end of this section, we do get a glimpse of the T-Rex as he's gulping down the, the goat. Oh. And but it's kind of you know your view is obstructed a little bit because it's rainy. You're looking out a window um, and through some foliage, um, and but you see just enough to realize how large this animal is. And you're right; it's like a lumbering kind of almost like a dopey creature. At times, it's sort of like how you know we'll talk about it later. But he kind of plays with the the SUVs the way a dog might push around a, a rock or a toy or something. Yeah. You know, um, but I, I guess I won't jump ahead too far. We'll, we'll get there. But um, yeah, it, that almost makes it feel more dangerous um, because it's unpredictable what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, this I, I love every every part of this setup. But this is a speaking of setup. This is just a great going back to the beginning of the section. This is just a great setup for the scene. Um, how they split up our characters into these two vehicles. Yeah. And that's, that, that's what the whole movie is. It's, it's like uh, one of the star Wars sequels or any, like any, except for the first star Wars movie. Um, they're basically splitting up the characters to have their own parallel adventures and then they'll come together at the end. Right. And putting, uh, putting uh, Malcolm and Dr. Grant in one car, like arguably the two smarter, more competent people in the group are alone in one car. Right. And then the kids who are in the most danger in this scenario are with the worst adult they could be with in, yes. in the lawyer. Um, and even before the reveal of the T-Rex coming, you know that this is not a good situation. 
to have the kids split up from Dr. Grandy and Malcolm. Um, And so it really sets the stage for just a good conflict with lots of tension with these two groups of people trying to save each other uh, and escape the the T-Rex. It makes me wonder why he didn't, why John Hammond doesn't put Muldoon on one of the vehicles, the the park ranger with like the weapons and the expertise and the know-it-all of how to behave around the dinosaurs. He's, yeah, he's not there to provide any expertise, I, I guess in their mind when they're setting up the tour, this kind of practice tour, that it was just going to be over in a jiffy. Um, but they knew a storm was incoming. Like they were hoping it wasn't, wasn't incoming. Um, and then of course the unpredictable of uh, Dennis Nedry throwing all the um, security out the right. window. Yeah. That was the wild card. Wild yeah. card. Wild card. Wild card, bitches. Um, but yeah, it's still like Hammond is really, if you're sending like some children and the people that you want to impress, your grandchildren, his your grandchildren, grandchildren, his, his yes. blood. And you're sending them on this inaugural tour through the park. Like, have a third car with a couple <laughs> security people or, right. you know, animal experts in there to, like, escort them or just be there in case something does go wrong. Like, it, he's really just having a lot of trust in that his everything is going to work just perfectly. And I guess to his credit, it probably would have if it wasn't for... Um, what's his name? Nedry. Nedry. Yeah. Nerdy. Um, didn't say the magic word. Uh-uh-uh. Uh-uh-uh. <laughs> we got Dotson here. We got Dotson. Dotson here. Nobody cares. You shouldn't use my name. Dotson. Dotson. We've got Dotson here. See, nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares. <laughs> Newman, actually, is what his yeah. name is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, but yeah, great sequence here, setting us up for the um, the reveal of the T Rex. Um, I guess we can talk a little bit more about special effects stuff as we get into the next part. But mm-hmm. um, is there anything else you wanted to add on this section? Um, I, I just you already mentioned it, but I love the reveal of the T Rex to the characters and to us. We're not seeing a clear, full on shot when we first see the T Rex. Instead, we are in the kids' eyes, basically, looking mm. up at, through a rainy window, up through the foliage as that T-Rex head is emerging and gulping down the goat. Um, I think that's something I saw you put in your notes that you know made sense. Uh, I kind of knew from watching the movie, but didn't really... Um, didn't really nail down as a thing, but he, he places the camera inside the vehicles for a lot of these shots to make you feel like you're just in there with these characters, which I think is really smart. Yeah. It's, it's, it is chill inducing every time I see it. Um, just, just the way it's introduced again with that character's perspective, uh, because it, it is not nearly as terrifying if you're just kind of like a third party over the shoulder of everybody or like in a wide angle view when something like this is introduced. Uh, if it's, if it's from the character's perspective, it truly puts us in that situation and it instantly makes us through the, throughout the whole scene thinking, what would I do if I was in that situation knowing yeah. this is this, right. This this once apex predator of its time now returning to <laughs> a bunch of people who are not suited for 
wilderness survival. That's a good point. That's always the mark of a good, you know, suspense action movie like this, where you start putting yourself in the character's shoes and asking yourself, what would I do here? What, what would be my move? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, you definitely feel that way. You feel like you're in the, in the vehicles with these groups of people experiencing the dread that they are um, to great effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Something I didn't just before wrap up this first part, there might be a couple of things, but um, I think I have some things in part one here that should be going in part two, but we can catch those up. Okay. Uh, But Alan and Ian, they make a joke about when you got to go, you got to go. Do they know that the T-Rex is right there? Have they seen the T-Rex officially? There's, there's no indication here in the first part that they do. Yeah, that's a good question. I, my impression was that they had not, or, okay. or else I don't think they would have been so confused as to why he ran off over there. Okay. Um, so that was my reading of it because he, he, he does see the T-Rex, right? Like through the window when he's yes. scoping down the goat. So I think that the T-Rex at that point is still behind the fence, kind of behind some foliage. It's dark, it's rainy. And Dr. Grant is, you know, several car lengths behind theirs. And so it was always my impression that they hadn't seen the dinosaur yet. Did okay. you notice that when the lawyer runs to the bathroom, it looks like a little palapa? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Target in the center of the palapa. Target's the center of the palapa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nick's on a whole new meaning. Target's the center of the palapa. Target's the center of the palapa. Target's the center of the palapa. Oh my gosh. Good catch. Thank you. Thank you. I, I thought of that when I was watching it and I just uh, chuckled to myself. <laughs> I did notice it says no feeding, no flash photography, no mm. yelling. And they break all three of those rules. That's a great catch. All the times I've seen this movie, I never picked up on that, but you're absolutely right. That's all sorts of little things just here and there throughout yeah. the movie that, yeah, you just, yeah, it'd be good to, I shouldn't like overstep my bounds, but this movie would be a solid contender to put on the movies by minute format. Mm. I'm surprised. Has no one done this movie? Well, they have. Well, all right. Should we get into the second part of our scene? Uh, Rexy. That's the name of the, Mm. that's like the, that's the, the name that people have given the T-Rex. Anytime I watched YouTube videos, it was Rexy, Rexy this and Rexy that. And Oh, isn't Rexy great. I mean, Mm. She is. Keep in mind, she's a female T-Rex. Um, kind of add, kind of adds a little bit of a character to her. They're all they're all female, right? Because they um, they're, they're all female until they're not, and until then they they're breed. Not, life finds a way. Right. By the way, that happens fairly quickly. I feel like the evolution there doesn't quite <laughs> matter. But, right. It's a couple of years, and they're like, "God damn, just grow a dick already!" Yeah, <laughs> my frog DNA made me grow a dick. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's cool, I guess. <laughs> Although my arms are so short. Oh, no. <laughs> but my dick is so big. <laughs> that's what they don't tell you. I want to see that Jurassic Park movie where the T Rex is just slapping it around. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, I think there is some stuff like that out there, like a, like a T Rex. <laughs> oh, no. A T Rex impregnating a car. Oh dear! Oh man! <laughs> Something for everybody out there, isn't there? Yeah, there is, there really is for those car slash dinosaur enthusiasts. My God! All right. 
Oh, okay, okay. Last little factoid. We talked about the iconic water ripples in the glass. Yes. First off, what a stupid thing to have like these little open glass or open plastic cups. In okay, this thank Jeep. you. Because I was just <laughs> thinking about that when I was watching it. Like, why are these little like dainty open top water cups here? But okay. <laughs> I was going to spill in like uh, someone's lap. Yeah. Yeah. It's not good. Oh, no. Okay. But, but, but secondly, and um, I was always curious about this and now I know how they did it is they actually put guitar strings under the dashboard. And so when they're plucking the strings, that's what's causing those ripples. Um, A a few of the IMDb trivia facts point this, uh, just how difficult of an effect this was to pull off, which is really funny seeing as all the other effects are pulling off for the sake of the movie. Seriously. That seems like it'd be one of the easiest. I always thought they just used like a a subwoofer or something and, you know, did a big bass hit or something and made it vibrate. But uh, the guitar string, that makes sense. I guess it's a little more localized that way you can control it a little more. Yeah, you can really snap it in there like yeah. Whoosh, yeah. Just like that. Yeah. Um all right. So should we try this again? Should we get into part two of this scene? Please. All right. Now uh folks listening at home, uh <laughs> I'm kind of making this up as I go. John, please stop me and just sort of interrupt me and fill me in on what I'm forgetting. But we're gonna go to part two. This is gonna run from a one hour three minutes and 45 seconds all the way to one hour, eight minutes and 36 seconds. So what I remember here <laughs> is that, yeah. um, so the, the lawyer has run off to the uh, Palapa bathroom and uh, we start to see the, the fence falling apart, um, indicating to us that the electricity is no longer working. Uh, and then we get the first reveal of the T-Rex busting through the fence with a giant roar and yell. We have it right so far. You nailed it so far. Okay. Um, we then have everyone, all of our uh, characters realize what's happening now. Um, and uh, the kids make a, a, well, Dr. Grant and Ian Malcolm are motionless in the car because Dr. Grant says, don't move. Uh, its vision is based on movement. Uh, mm-hmm. And then right after we hear that, the, the kids make a terrible mistake <laughs> when they turn on the flashlight and wave it around, um, grabbing the T-Rex's attention. And so now the T-Rex is focused on uh, their car. And the, the kid, uh, the boy, also slams the door to the car, which also doesn't help. Mm-hmm. Um, so then the T-Rex begins attacking the car with the two kids inside. Um, he uh, flips the car upside down. Oh, no, sorry. First, he smashes his snout in through the ceiling, right? Right. The, gla- the glass ceiling. And so we get that great effect of the kids holding the glass and the snouts pushing down. Uh, the uh, the T Rex then flips the car upside down, um, and uh, crushes the car a bit, and the kids are still trapped inside. Um, he kind of pushes the car around with his snout, um, kind of spinning it. Is, do I have the sequence there right? The yes. Sequence? Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, we start to see the the SUV kind of fill up with mud as the uh, as the T Rex pushes down on the car. Um, Then Dr. Grant has the good idea to distract the T-Rex with a road flare, which works. And he stands out in the middle of the road, waves the flare back and forth, getting the T-Rex's attention, throws the flare into the jungle. The T-Rex turns attention towards that flare. And we think for that moment that he has saved the children. Then Dr. Malcolm decides to get in on the saving, waves his own flare, um, which uh, attracts the T-Rex's attention again. Now to Dr. Malcolm, 
but Malcolm has good intentions here. He's trying to lure the T-Rex away from everybody so that Dr. Grant can go save the kids. Um, Dr. Grant begins running as fast as he can, chucks the flare off to the side. Now the T-Rex is running right behind him. And the next thing we see is Dr. Malcolm and the T-Rex crashing into the Palapa bathroom <laughs> and uh, exposing the lawyer who is sitting uh, alone now that the bathroom has fallen apart. He's sitting all by himself exposed on a toilet. The T-Rex then uh, dips down and grabs the lawyer uh, in his jaws and enjoys himself a nice legal <laughs> snack. <laughs> snack! Snack! Um, is that about right? Did I forget anything? Um, I would say the last little shot in this part two sequence is the T-Rex reapproaching the kid's Jeep, uh, Alan grabbing Lex's mouth as she screams when the T-Rex approaches her and then the T-Rex leans in and blows off Grant's hat. Got it. Got it. Forgot the about big, that piece. Well, that went pretty well. <laughs> that was awesome. Well was done, okay. Jeff. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe you memorized that whole thing. Uh, well, you know. It's uh, it's kind of this whole scene is like I said earlier is really kind of ingrained in my mind. Like I really know the beats of it because I've seen it so many times. Um, but let's double back to the beginning. Mm. So um, first off, we should talk about the cowardly lawyer. The first sign of that T Rex, not even has busted through the fence yet. <laughs> he is out the door, leaving yeah. two children in the SUV and runs into the best hiding place he can think of, which is the uh, Straw Hut bathroom. The, the Palapa, uh, yeah, Palapa Go-Go or Palapa. <laughs> uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Porta Palapa? Ooh, there it is. That's it right there. The Porta Palapa. We got Porta it. Palapa. <laughs> yeah, he is like, yeah, he's, he's, he's showing that kind of horror movie this character deserves to die. Um, yeah. Action, he's making that choice. Um, he, to his credit in the first part, he is trying to calm them down a little bit when the shaking is all going on. And yeah. he looks in the rear view and he says like, Oh, maybe that's the power just trying to come back on. But if, as soon as that hungry T-Rex face looks at them, he, he, he bolts, he doesn't even stop at Alan and Ian to say, no, like I got to take a shit. He just like, <laughs> <laughs> he just busts out. He doesn't even like, yeah, he, yeah. I, I'm not really sure. Uh, you know what the average mm, straight thinking kind of person would do when they're flooded in such a situation. Yeah, but like I, hopefully I he's not leaving the kids behind. I know. I I have to be careful not to judge too much because I I know in a situation like that there's a, a level of panic that may right. be um, hard to control, and I get that. But when you have two children in the car with you, I mean, isn't isn't that your first? thought i mean maybe he's I, he strikes me as a guy that doesn't have his own kids and has always sort of taken care of himself so oh, maybe sure. that's his first instinct but man like without a second thought he bolts from that car and he's he's off right um, yeah so i uh, at that point you sort of lose all sympathy for his character and it it's fitting that he's the first to go from the t-rex spielberg does a good job there of sort of creating a character you don't like very much and he's the first to die you know, <laughs> he, he does have, I don't know if you caught this when you watched this movie, but he has one of the, the funnier lines in this movie when he's, 
<laughs> I don't know if you remember, but when they're going through the little tour in the visitor center, yeah, uh, they're all sitting in the kind of roller coaster seats and they're just kind of going slowly to the side as they watch all the actual scientists do scientist right. work. And right. he, and he asks John Hamm and the lawyer says, so are these characters uh, auto-erotica? Are, are these characters uh, auto-erotica? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly he means animatronic, right? But like, John Hammond doesn't skip a beat and he's like, no, no, they're not animatronic, they're real people, but just the little, <laughs> the little auto-erotica. Like, oh that, my gosh. That is funny. I don't know if I've ever noticed that before. That's hilarious. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Funny. Maybe it's a callback to... Um, Michael Crichton, author of Jurassic Park. Yeah. His earlier work of Westworld. I don't know if you ever saw oh, Westworld, but that's where yeah. like the Wild West, whatever animatronics come to life and start killing people. Right, right. I know of the story. I've never really seen any of the adaptations. I, I can only see I've I can only say I've seen the scene of like Yul Brenner all cowboyed up chasing yeah. someone, like with yeah. a really cold look in his eyes, just just terrifying stuff. Well, uh, to once again double back here, I, I should mention we get one more way in which they kind of build the tension of the T-Rex showing up before the T-Rex actually shows up, which is to see the fence start to sort of unravel, if yeah. you will, the cables kind of popping off of the the poles and falling down. And uh, that's just sort of one last little moment of dread that we get before we see the lawyer run off. And then the reveal of the T-Rex busting through the fence in between the two vehicles and giving us that roar. And man, every single time this part in the movie happens, like you mentioned earlier, it just sends a tingle down your spine. It looks so good. And and this, this spot is a full CGI T-Rex. Do I have that right in this particular reveal? You mean where he's roaring? Where he where he busts through the yeah. fence when we first sort of see it in its full body, its full glory. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the CG. I think the big part is just like how fluidly it moves. It looks so good. It really it, does. It looks it looks incredible. They have the water spilling up when it steps on the mud. Yeah. Right. They have the interactive cables moving around. I don't, I'm not really sure if the cables themselves are practical fully or if there's yeah. a mix there. Um, but yeah, put, they put them between the Jeeps, stomp them in the mud, gives a, an iconic roar. Like you'd be afraid probably of making a roar for a T-Rex too close to Godzilla. But to me, it sounds completely different than the Godzilla roar. So if I was it dropping does. sounds in here, I'd say, here's the Godzilla roar that we all know. <laughs> Yeah, it has that like high pitched. I think you said there's like an element of of like an elephant. Yeah, there is an element of an elephant. An and elephant I think element. that comes through that sort of like high pitched part to the roar that mm-hmm. makes it so terrifying. Um, it's it's unlike any other like animal roar that we had ever heard until that moment. You know, it was so iconic that roar. Yeah, and you, you you definitely hear it in other movies. For me, what is notable is there's a scene, I think, in Toy Story 2 mm. uh, where T-Rex is – or what's his name? I think his name is just Rex, Rex in the Toy yeah. Story movies. Yeah. Um, it's either one or two. He's uh, doing the similar chase that we see later in this movie um, oh, in the rear yeah. mirror, but he yeah, gives a yeah. roar. I know he gives a roar in I think that's Toy part Story two. Toy Story 3, I think, in the beginning has the cool Western yes. simulation at the beginning, and that's 
Um, he gives a good roar there, very similar T-Rex roar to here. But yeah, it's, it's just, just love that roar. Um, I think his best roar, sorry, I think her, Rexy's best roar given uh, is, is it in this scene later on or is it at the end of the movie? I, th- I think at the end of the movie where- End of the movie one is, is good. She's too. killed the velociraptors. Yeah. And the sign comes down when dinosaurs mm. rule the earth. Yeah, and the oh roar. My gosh, just, just chills. Yeah. Well, and so as this part of the scene proceeds, we it goes back and forth between- a practical animatronic dinosaur and the CGI that we get. It, yes. Typically if, if it's a wide shot where we're seeing the dinosaur run or move or seeing the whole thing at once, it's CG. But then any other time where the dinosaur's head is around the car or pushing its snout into the car, that is a practical model animatronic dinosaur that they built for the film. And it's that, that you know combination of the two the intersection of the practical effects and the cg is what i think makes this whole scene hold up so well yes because in those close-ups in those shots like when the t-rex is jamming his snout down into the 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 sunroof the glass sunroof it looks real right it looks tangible like you could reach out and touch it when the t-rex's snout is right outside the window of the car it does not look like a computer uh, cartoon. It looks absolutely real when that eye, his big eye blinks. It, you know, it looks like you could reach out and touch it. Um, and then you know that com- combined with the wider shots of this amazing CGI work that is you know was cutting edge at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, those things combined just just create really an amazing illusion, an amazing. Uh, sense of this creature that's terrorizing these people. Yeah, it's uh, it's truly this masterpiece uh, of this creature, like you're saying. Um, and something I was kind of teasing at the, the the top of the show is that when I think about the people who worked on this, this is Lucasfilm, George Lucas's um, effects crew that he created, that he started when he made the Star Wars movies called mm. Industrial Light and Magic, ILM, right. with um, two of the heavy hitters from the Star Wars franchise, Phil Tippett and Dennis Muren now working with Stan Winston, like this God among uh, creature effects, creature designs. Yeah. Um, and, and essentially to me creating like a Star Wars level movie, just like set in the modern day right. um, in terms of those effects, because it's been 10 years since they made return of the Jedi, but these Star Wars people, they still have those skills. They still have the ability to, make you feel like something is there um, when right for the most part, it's not, it's either right. uh, a barely moving robot or it's CG, but they do such a good job putting it all together here and really selling the danger. I, I know myself, even before this movie came out, I had had dreams about being chased by dinosaurs, specifically the T-Rex <laughs> and like hiding under a deck and like the T-Rex's head just kind of comes down. Like, oh my God. At me <laughs> that side. And I was like, for me, it was like this nightmare realized, like I had dreamt this exact, uh, this exact view that they have. Um, and, and yeah, all credit to the effects people. And we've talked about Stan Winston on and on back in the predator minute days, because he did the final designs for the predator. Costume, master. The redesign. He's, he's the master. He still has a special effects school going on years after his passing. Now, I think I read in your notes that the filming of this was quite arduous in that they had to use this, this giant 
animatronic <laughs> T-Rex was really giant. Yeah. And uh, it took a lot of people to make it move. And uh, and they also had the rain going. And do I have this right? The rain got in the way of this dinosaur and sometimes it would stop working and they'd have to dry it out and then restart the scene again. Right. Sounds it's, like a nightmare. Yeah. Sounds like a nightmare. It sounds like, again, the, the kind of Jaws kind of troubles. Right. Whereas if they're not shooting in the ocean, but they're on a tropical island where it does rain a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is an animatronic made of mostly foam, rubber, and robotics. So right. not and, the best. And mix in for their water. scene, it's raining as well. So they, yes, yeah. <laughs> so they probably have you know sprinklers on to give the rain effect. Right. Like, oh man. And man. and one of the fixes, um, it's really hard for me to notice, but they say one of the fixes is um, for the, 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 the for the scenes where they had to use the animatronics. They were providing some kind of cover mm. after so many attempts to shooting these scenes. So if you're to look closely, maybe you can notice it. I don't know. I don't notice it. Um, but if you look closely enough, you would see that the T-Rex is not being rained on, but I don't, I don't notice that at all. Yeah, I don't either. And even when they cut back, like I'm thinking of like the wide shot when we see the T-Rex, like moving the car around with its snout Yes. Um, that scene is is a CGI dinosaur, but the car itself is obviously real. So, like, they married those two things together perfectly. Like, they mm-hmm. spun the car and then, you know, worked in the CGI dinosaur afterwards. And, man, it, it works together perfectly. It looks completely real to me when you see it like that. You, you can't have it one way or the other purely to have the same effect it does in this movie. If it's all animatronic, it's going to be really clunky on the wide shots and when it's trying to chase people. But if it's all CGI, you don't have light hitting it. You don't have real water hitting it. Right. Right. You don't have real jeeps hitting it. (laughs) You lose that, that realness to it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that tangibility. Um, I will say a funny, just a funny little goof. I normally don't, talk about the goofs at all because it's whatever neither here or there but a funny goof something I learned from listening to Jurassic Park Minute is here in the sequence at at least on my copy on my torrented copy <laughs> uh, or my legally downloaded is at 106.25 as soon as the T-Rex flips the Jeep you're looking at the side of the Jeep as after it's flipped upside down and if I pause it there there's a potted plant or a potted tree right in the way of the track of the Jeep, as oh. well as like a stage light. Oh, no shit. <laughs> I, I always thought that was a, a fun little uh, Easter egg. Yeah, that's funny. I never noticed that before. It must happen really fast. Yeah. Um, yeah something I, I really enjoy about this scene also is when he flips the Jeep over, sorry, when she, when Rexy flips the Jeep over, uh, she starts tearing into it as if she's eating uh, a prey dinosaur, as right. if she's eating a felled t- uh, triceratops or stegosaurus yeah it's like she doesn't quite know what to do with this thing she knows right. that there's something inside moving but she doesn't quite know if it's alive or not so she's just going to go at it <laughs> right it's terrifying when when she's like crushes that jeep and it's upside down and the inside starts filling up with mud Ugh. and the kids are in that mud i get claustrophobic every single time like that freaks me out <laughs> yeah they're, they're screaming like very realistic sounding screams you can tell why these yeah. uh kids Right, nailed their additions because they're nailing the, the fear factor. Yeah, yeah. 
So what do you make of uh, – so we get the great sequence then of Dr. Grant with the road flare. Um, <laughs> what do you make of uh, Malcolm's uh, decision to join in on the road flaring? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, before I jump to the road flaring oh, sure. numbskullness by Malcolm – uh, Alan Grant makes like just this great like oh shit face as soon as he hops out of the car like very Ron Burgundy esque like this is like I immediately, immediately regret, regret this decision <laughs> I immediately regret this decision he starts waving it and then the T Rex gives the famous elephant penguin tiger alligator dog roar right yeah. at his face you know from maybe thirty feet away but clearly. He has the T-Rex's attention. He just is like, oh, what have I done? Huge inhale. Like, I really hope <laughs> that one thing I read about T-Rexes is accurate for right. something that was brought back to life and I'm encountering for the first time. Right. Ever. right. Um, but yeah, just, just, just love the yeah, Spielberg, like, oh, face. Like, I can't believe I just did that. So I guess in the original script, Malcolm was supposed to just run off as well. Um, but I guess Jeff Goldblum convinced them to have him jump into the road flare action here and play a little more of a hero role, if that's what you want to call it. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if you call this the hero role though, because he, I, I think the T Rex is on her way out of the scene when that's what it feels like. Grant like, throws the flare. Yeah, and it feels like then he distracts her more, but in a wrong way. Although he does accomplish his goal of getting the T-Rex to run away from the cars altogether yeah, um, so that Grant can uh, presumably go save the kids. But um, yeah, it, it seems like ill-advised in the moment. And he almost dies. He's lucky the lawyer was on the toilet because the lawyer <laughs> became the snack and not him. So. Exactly. I think I think these deaths are or the fates are switched in the book. I, mm. uh, I I know almost for sure that Ian Malcolm dies in the book. I think from a very similar wound here, not being eaten. I don't think, but I think from just being knocked to to the ground in such a violent way. But uh, Gennaro does not die in the book. I don't remember his ultimate fate. Um, yeah, I haven't read yeah. it since I was in the seventh grade, so I forget a lot of the beats of the book. I do remember like seeing the trailer for Jurassic park and seeing some of the scenes that they show in the trailer and being like, Oh, that is directly from the book. Like that is the oh. book coming alive. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot they kept in. I do remember there's a whole nother subplot where Dr. Grant and the kids find like uh, a full on, like they go into a cave that's behind a waterfall and they find a full on like nesting area with like tons of eggs Right. And it's a whole other portion of the book that they really just sort of skirted by by having Dr. Grant just fi- find those few eggs that he right, does right, later right. on in the story. Um, but I guess there's a whole bigger part in the book dedicated to that. So, hmm. um, but I, I, it's like I said, it's been a very long time since I read it, so I don't remember exactly how it worked. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is Spielberg really just doing a great job of cutting the fat just trimming it down mm-hmm. to the essential story because this this is another movie that just moves for me when i watch it it just goes from one thing to the next i know it's happening next but at the same time just like i i'm also anticipating what's happening next like oh i know this next beat is right around the corner and i right. enjoy how this is all put together how this is edited in such a way to um uh, make me feel that the urgency of the situation we're not just kind of that's uh, that's exactly right like you don't want to lose that urgency. Right. And right. I'm just remembering now thinking about it, like the, 
character, uh, Samuel Jackson's character is way more detailed in the book. And they spend a whole lot of time with him talking about decoding the right. security system and figuring out how to hack back into it to bring it all to life. And that's like a couple chapters in the book that's really like narrowed down to like th- two sentences in the movie <laughs> when they right. Kind of, right, right after this scene, actually, when they cut back to him smoking the cigarette and like saying that he was about to get everything back online. But, uh, but in the book it works cause it's interesting and it, it pulls us away from the action for a moment and we get really sort of into the nitty gritty of the, the tech, which is cool in 1991 or whenever the book came out. Right. But in the movie, you need to keep the story rolling, especially after a scene like this. Um, all right. Well, um, do we have more? I think that's all my notes on the second part. Do you have other things that uh, to touch on for part two here? Um, I mentioned, uh, no, not what I mentioned. No, I didn't mention that. Sorry, I was thinking I mentioned this in another no worries. show. I did not. No. <laughs> uh, but one note I grabbed from IMDb that I really liked was that this is the aspect ratio 1.85 to 1 which gives the screen more vertical space versus having just a complete widescreen shooting. They make it a little bit more vertical so that when the dinosaurs are standing up, including the T-Rex here a couple times, Mm -hmm. um, it does feel, feel more of a dinosaur towering over the people. Um, And there's, yeah. Oh yeah. I, I read that in your notes too. And I found that kind of fascinating as a aspect ratio nerd, I guess. Um, <laughs> but you know, your, your standard TV show is 16 by nine, right. To fit right. on your widescreen TVs. And then most movies are filmed widescreen, which is 2.35 to one or something like that. Okay. And uh, they chose an aspect ratio that was right in between that for this movie, which I find kind of fascinating, but the reasoning makes sense there. Like you give more vertical, um, so you can fit in all these creatures. That's, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. I read that in the fact that in the first part of the movie before the uh, T-Rex or in most of the scenes before the T-Rex in time dinosaurs are shown, people are filmed in such a way where they can be higher up than the dinosaur that's mm. being shown versus here. And starting with this scene and then continuing through the Gallimimus scene, the Velociraptor, the Dilophosaurus, scenes that a lot of the shots are showing the people being lower mm. in the screen or just lower in height to the dinosaurs showing that that illusion of people having control over dinosaurs is just that it's an illusion where right. as there's these giant uh natural creatures who are obeying the laws of nature not the laws of of people that's so interesting and it's such a spielberg choice to like find this kind of very broad way to to block and shoot the dinosaurs in the first half compared to the second half to give you an overall feeling of of danger it reminds me of our conversation about alien how in the first part of the movie everything feels big and open and spacious yes and then as the movie continues (laughs) like to the point that the director was uh, ridley scott was actually making the hallways smaller on the set yes. to give it a more claustrophobic feel, you know, it's kind of brilliant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just what, what, an, what an asshole. Right. <laughs> like Imagine being on set alcohol. and you come in the next day and it's all like half as wide. You're like, what the hell? <laughs> what the hell, Ridley? Uh, let's see. Last, a little star, last Star Wars note I think I have for this whole scene is that the T-Rex eating the goat is very similar to the Rancor 
uh, eating the Gamorrean pig guard in The Return of the Jedi. If you remember that, that's where Luke is tossed down underneath Jabba's palace. And then oh, he's also, yeah. also with Luke is this pig guard who's trying to escape the Rancor. The Rancor picks him up, chews on him a couple times, and really just gulps him down. It's ah, that's right. Yeah. Very similar to how the T-Rex, how Rexy eats the, the goat. Yeah, yeah. It kind of throws his gullet back and just gulp. Yeah, and you hear it too. Yeah, uh, so, I, I mean, we need to talk about Gennaro's death. I think because I think one of the this is one of the standout moments, not just of the scene, but of the movie to me, and not just now, but of when I first saw it in the theaters. Like yeah. I, I could not believe they were showing this dinosaur. It was a very much it was it was very much a moment of like I can't believe I'm seeing this on the on the theater right now on the theater screen. Everybody else is seeing this this T Rex. Come down, chomp down on the guy while right, he's still alive, picking him up as he's yelling, snap him around a couple of times, and then just eating him. Like that was that was shocking to me. I was shocked. But you have to have that in there, right? Like yes. you can't have a T-Rex in your movie without seeing him eat somebody. Right. Like that's you know, that's what we maybe not what we came to see, but we have to see that. Like we have to see the T-Rex eat someone. Yeah. And uh like I said earlier, they, Spielberg does a good job here of creating a character that we're, we don't mind seeing eaten, perhaps. Right. Um, there's also a little moment of levity. Like, how can you not kind of chuckle a little bit when the walls of that bathroom fall down and he's just sitting on the toilet? Right. You know, so right. it's like they fake you out. They're like, oh, ha, ha, look, he's sitting on the toilet. What a doofus. Uh, and you kind of laugh for a moment. And then in the most probably the most graphic death of the movie. He just gets chomped up. (laughs) (laughs) And so to juxtapose those two things is hilarious and brilliant. And uh, yeah, but you got to have that. You got to have someone eaten by the dinosaur, don't you? Yeah. I mean, you do, you do. And then later on, as we see a couple more characters, well, a couple more characters be killed. I think they, they start off with the two deaths here with, um, Gennaro, and then a little bit later, Nedry's killed by the Dilophosaurus, another character right. you really don't like. Yeah, um, yeah. But then they kill off um, Arnold and then Muldoon, or I think it's the other way around. They kill off the hunter Muldoon, who you're definitely cheering for, and like you're seeing how the stakes raise in that scene. Yeah. Um, and then you only see Arnold's hand. You only see Samuel L. Sorry, his arm, Samuel L. Jackson's arm, uh, right, clearly disconnected from his body. Right. But this is this yeah. is the most like clear, explicit death in the movie, right? Like, yeah, Nedry gets surrounded by those whatever those di- little dinosaurs are that spit all over him. Yeah, and we see them sort of like swarm him, but we don't see anything graphic. No, it just shakes the car. Like, yeah, like a gremlin's death kind of. And then what's the name of the guy that gets the clever girl guy that gets attacked uh, by the, the dinosaur by the Velociraptors? Muldoon, that's, Muldoon, that's Muldoon. yeah. And, you know, so he, you know, we know what happens to him, but they don't show the velociraptors eating him or anything. Yeah, they, they show, like, the velociraptor's head going down, like, behind the bushes, but, like, he's clearly, like, starting to pull flesh from the skull. Yeah. Like, the way, and, like, Muldoon's yelling. It's just like, oh, that is just a tragic, brutal death. That yeah. is something that he's alive to feel, not like he's gone on the shock and can't right. feel anything. But this is the only one where you like see the person in the jaws of the dinosaur, right? <laughs> right. Um, I, in my mind's eye, for some, I guess I was thinking that you do see him swallow down the lawyer, but you don't. You just see him shake him till yeah, he's 
clearly killed by the shaking, just snapping all the bones in his body, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, but you don't actually see him gulp him down. I think I was conflating that scene with the goat scene. Right, right. But yeah, he it's it's the mo it's the clearest death by dinosaur eating that we get in this movie, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oof. Um, okay. Well, uh should we try uh to describe part three? Yeah, let's let's uh, describe part three. Sorry, I was just looking at my notes. Oh, sure. Uh, but sorry, not uh, trying to cut you off. Uh, just uh, no, no, no. Absolutely, it's I. It's time to move on. Let's move on. Okay. All right. So help me. You're gonna have to help me a little bit with this one, probably. Um. All right. So part three. This is gonna go from one hour eight minutes and thirty six seconds up to one hour ten minutes and twenty nine seconds. So. I think where we pick up is uh, the girl. I'm sorry. What's the girl? Oh, Lex. Lex. She steps out of the SUV with the help of Dr. Grant. And then she sees the T-Rex after getting out of the SUV and gives a great scream. Mm -hmm. Um, And then here we see the T-Rex come back with his foot in the mud and some heavy breathing on Dr. Grant. And he pushes the SUV around with his snout while Dr. Grant and Lex sort of hide on the other side. And all the while the boy, what's his name again? Uh, Tim. Tim is still stuck inside. Do I have this all right so far? Yes. Okay. Um, then we get a, a kind of a overhead shot of them almost falling off the concrete wall. Um, and then the next shot we see is them uh, climbing down a cable down the side of this concrete wall. And, uh, then the T-Rex starts pushing the car that still has Tim inside closer and closer to the edge of the wall. They are swinging back and forth on this cable, Dr. Grant and Lex. And on the third try, just as the T-Rex pushes the car off the concrete wall, it barely misses Dr. Grant and Lex as they swing to the side and grab another cable, uh, to swing over to safety. Um, and then we see the SUV with Tim still inside crash down into the tree below and get stuck in the branches. Yeah, uh, the scene ends with, we'll just call this end of the scene with, uh, Rexy uh, roaring into the camera downward, really at Alan and Lex as they dangle from a rope, um, at the, <laughs> at the now weirdly steep precipitous height, um, of the inside of the pen. I, I, that, yeah. That's the geography that's always confused me ever since I first saw it. I, yeah. I we're gonna, like, there's a couple parts to this little sequence here that is my only gripe in the movie. Cause some of the continuity doesn't quite make sense, but we'll talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Did I forget anything in that section? No, you nailed it. This is a, a fairly, this is like the most straightforward part of the section. Cause we're really just focusing on, these three characters bunched together. The T-Rex isn't going back and forth yeah. uh, for legal snacks. It's it's just the turntable of the Jeep right now. Yeah. So uh, going back to the beginning here, the scream that Lex gives when she gets out of the SUV is really, she nails it. Like for a child actor, she really nailed that scream. I don't know how you feel about it, but that, I that's what won fantastic. her the, that's what won her the role in the auditions is mm. that she screams so badly it was like whoever was doing the audition like the, the 
whatever the wife in the house was like, Oh my God, like, is there a kid being hurt or something like that? <laughs> right. Truly thinking that she was being hurt or so frightened, like given this, yeah, yeah. Terrible, terrible scream. But yeah, it, is, it is a great scream. Um, I don't think there's another scream like that from the characters, uh, except for Ellie. Is that her name? Sorry. Ellie Sadler. Yes, uh, that's right. Um, I believe does give a, a scream when she finds uh, Samuel L. Jackson's arm, his disembodied arm. Oh yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. That's a good scream too. Some yeah. Good, good screams. So again, we get some good practical T-Rex here with the foot in the mud and the heavy breathing. Um, and then we get the shot of him pushing the car around with his snout, which is, I always like sort of that cat and mouse here where they're kind of like on the other side of the SUV and then yes. jump, jumping up on that concrete wall. Um, and that overhead shot of them up on the wall when they both almost kind of like teeter totter a bit and Dr. Grant almost falls. Right. Always makes my stomach turn because it's, they're so close to the edge and I don't really like those kind of heights. So it always like flips my stomach upside down. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's quite, yeah, it's quite the, out of the fire and into the frying pan kind of situation where you're trading one danger for the other, like both are going to be fatal. Uh, both are going to be painful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but to me, this is where I start to feel the movie intensity um, start to start to dip a little bit because the, to me, the whole climax of the movie, like I said before, is an introduction yeah. um, and him roaring at them and him really being in the kids faces. And as soon as the SUV goes over and he's kind of spinning with kind of, or as soon as she is spinning it, kind of toying with it, kind of whining a little bit, which I really like almost like a dog whine. Right. I, right. I think that's where the whiny sounds come from. It's one of the, production people's dog like their hmm. terrier just kind of whining it, it comes across like very playful and it, for me it loses that tension a lot because it's just i just pushing it around and for some reason pushing it off the uh off the the cliff here yeah um, just 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 kind of takes it out and i'm not feeling that tension i really don't feel that tension for the rest of the movie even when they're being chased in the kitchen i, I think the most tense after this i feel is when Ellie is turning all the power back on in the right. um, the breaker bunker, whatever that is. So I have a question for you yeah. here that I always wonder in this scene. Why <laughs> did Dr. Grant and Lex start to climb down this cable or this rope or whatever it is and leave Tim behind? Yeah, because when the scene ends, to me, like Tim's not surviving this. Like he's either being smushed in the mud or like because the top of the car's not there anymore, he's just being like stomped in the mud by the T-Rex or he's plummeting <laughs> yeah. whatever 50 or 60 feet into a tree in this, in this car. But yeah, they just leave him. I don't, it would make more sense if they showed them falling or slipping. Right. And then catching the rope and Oh, now here's where they are, but they just cut. <laughs> There's just a cut in the movie to them. At on this cable, just getting the hell out of there, just getting out of there, and like straight up leaving him behind. Yeah, that that part never quite sat right with me. It's like I said it earlier that that might be one of my only like real gripes with this scene is that doesn't quite compute to me um, why they would do that unless we're supposed to assume they fell, in which case that would make more sense. But they don't. But show they don't. Them. No. So, they, yeah. They, they they clearly. 
yeah, rappel up and on belay, belay on. Right. And that's the other, that's the other gripe that you were alluding to earlier is, isn't this the side, didn't the T-Rex come over this (laughs) wall or he broke through the fence, but there's a wall here that has a deep ravine. Right. That that is very unclear. Yeah. It is very unclear because if you look at the beginning of the scene, uh, it would appear to me at the beginning of the scene that, I mean, I sound like the comic book guy. It would appear to me. Uh, <laughs> but when you first see that wide shot of the Jeep sitting at the Tyrannosaurus pen, it just just all looks like there's a bunch of trees lined up, nestled up against that fence. Yeah, well, and there's the goat. There's the goat, yeah. There's the goat, and the T-Rex is essentially just stepping over the concrete barrier from one piece of level ground to the road. Yeah. Not like there's, it's not like the T-Rex is climbing over this giant chasm. It's not like the, yeah, it's not, it's not really clear. It's not clearly shown. Uh, I think it's just kind of an error in their own geography. And they thought, well, it looks, looks good enough. And the scene was so tense. People aren't really going to notice. Yeah. And I mean, to their, to the filmmakers credit, like I didn't notice this the first time I saw the movie. Yeah. It's it's only after subsequent, like many, many rewatches that I was like, wait a second, that doesn't quite work out. But, um, you know, in the moment it all works to like keep the scene going and to keep the tension going. And it makes for a pretty great shot when the, the car gets pushed off the side of the wall and into the tree. Um, So I guess that was all worth it. But uh, my third question for you, John is how does Tim survive that fall? (laughs) How does he stay alive when that car falls, I don't know, 30, 40 feet and into that tree? Like, wouldn't he have just fallen out the front windshield and plummeted to his death? <laughs> yeah, there's there's no structural integrity to this car anymore. No, no. When you slam down, going vertically, yeah, a vertical drop, you'd be slamming into some broken metal, some broken glass, if not just out of the actual Jeep itself. If you're still in the Jeep, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's just the, the physics don't really work out. I think, I think honestly, like I said, I, I, I feel like I'm noticed the whole drop off like early on in the viewings, maybe the first time I viewed it and just, just kind of boggled my mind. And I was Mm. like, I think that's part of what takes me out as soon as they hit the edge of the cliff. I'm starting to think like, where did that edge of the cliff come from? And I'm not necessarily thinking like, Oh, this is so thrilling. This is so dangerous. I love the shot, the vertical shot, like you said, or the overhead shot. But as soon as they, yeah, start pushing the, the, the SUV over, I'm just like, I'm filling up with all sorts of questions. I want to know what you think, Jeff, why is the T-Rex, is she aware that she's trying to knock the Jeep over the cliff? Why would she do that? Yeah. See, that's another good question. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I mean, it depends on how smart we believe the T-Rex to be. Right. If we believe the T-Rex is smart enough to understand that there is a living thing inside and that if it pushes this car over the edge, it will fall and that living thing will probably die. Then it could go down there and eat it. Right. That would be the explanation. But the question is, is this animal actually that smart? Um, and I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. She, she clearly doesn't follow them because yeah, she instead right. waits for Ellie and will do, maybe not waiting, but is the right word, but, Clearly, she's still there when the other people return to pick up Ian. Yeah. And they have that really fantastic scene where they're driving the Jeep away and see it in the rearview mirror. Yeah. Let's yeah. go faster, faster. 
but she's not going down to retrieve the dead body of whatever she pushed off. And other animals in nature do use this tactic. Like they do use this tactic of pushing something off a cliff and then right, eating right. the remains so that they don't really have to kill it by force. They can just let gravity do the job. But I don't, I don't know that the T-Rex is employing that method. I think it's just like, to me, it's like, uh, I'm just kind of tired of this metal rubber. Yeah. To, you know, this, 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 yeah, uh, different kind of lizard. I can't, or whatever bird lizard I can't take down. I'm just going to shove it over, shove it over the cliff, be done with it. It's noisy and just really frustrating me. Yeah. Maybe at this point it's just like, I'm just, you know, playing with this big rock thing and I'm just going to push it over the edge. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm done with this now. Um, yeah. Good questions. It's, it's a little unfortunate that uh, in this particular scene, there's these continuity questions that are at the very end. Um because the scene as a whole does not, I don't think suffer. I don't think it suffers from it. It's right. not something that really actually bothers me. I think it's something to bring up on a podcast when you're breaking down the scene like yeah. this. But um, overall, I, I, I think in terms of filmmaking and keeping the tension going and, and bringing this scene to a, a close and sort of it creates now this second part of the adventure where Dr. Grant and the two kids are going to be together um, and everyone else is, is somewhere else. And so in that respect, it moves the story along in a efficient way. So I understand why they chose to do that. Um, but yeah, just some of the logistics here don't quite add up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Hey, it's a great scene overall. It is. Um, and the, 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 the image of the car careening over the cliff down at them like to the left of the camera as they grab the cable always reminds me of back to the future with the DeLorean. Oh yeah. Just kind of time traveling. It's, it's very reminiscent of that to me, the way it kind of the headlights flash as it um, flies by. And mm. yeah, yeah. I can a, way, a way different version, not traveling through the future, but <laughs> just like crashing into a tree with poor little Tim inside. <laughs> poor Tim. Poor he Tim. Com- he comes out. He comes out the other side. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's a real trooper. Um, all right. Well, um, well, I think we've kind of brought this to a close. Um, do you have other things to add to the scene overall before we talk about uh, 1993 movies? Uh, I think that's it for now. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about from the scene or from the movie as a whole? I, th- I think we've, uh, I think we've covered it. We did good. We had our sequel talk. So I got that out of my system. Yeah. Um, this is a nice segue into highest grossing films of 1993. Let's be- do it. Because what's the number one film, John? Uh, it is, let me check. Oh, Jurassic Park, the movie we just talked about. Jurassic Park, which worldwide gross was more than double the second highest movie that year. Jurassic Park came in at number one with a worldwide gross of $914 million. Ooh. I believe the highest grossing film of all time up to this point. Yeah, up to this point, it takes the spot from, I don't remember what it is, sorry, but then it yeah. holds it until 97 and Titanic. Yeah, yeah, that checks out. All right, so to round out the top 10 from 1993, we got Jurassic Park. Number two was Mrs. Doubtfire. I was surprised <laughs> to see that. Uh, number three was The Fugitive. Number four, Schindler's List. Shout out to Spielberg. Yeah. Number five was The Firm. 
followed by Indecent Proposal. <laughs> That's number six is Indecent Proposal. This is a crazy <laughs> list. Indecent Proposal, number seven was Cliffhanger. Number eight, Sleepless in Seattle. Number nine, mm. Philadelphia. Number 10, The Pelican Brief. Yeah, I think That's Pelican wild. Brief and The Firm are both the John legal Grisham. John Grisham thrillers, right? And then Indecent Proposal, you could say, is almost like it's almost like an offshoot of the John Grisham novel. It kind of is. It's a, you know, the early to mid nineties were a playground of erotic thrillers and uh, <laughs> they were quite popular at the time. Yeah. 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 So this was a high profile erotic thriller with some very big names in it. So I guess it makes sense that it was up there, but man, what a different time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> different time. Did we already cover a 1993 movie? I don't think we have. Have we? When was Rumble in the Bronx? That's 95. It was okay. 95 slash 96. Yeah, okay. So, no, this is the first 93 the first. that we're covering. Um, what are some other movies that stood out? Oh, by the way, this is, you could call Jurassic Park also like a 93 to 94 movie because mm. uh, different websites told me that it was in theaters from, uh, when did it come out? June 93 or May 93? Mm, not sure, but it would make sense because at that time, if a movie was popular, they would just keep it in theaters. Until October of 94. Holy cow. <laughs> that's over a year, dude. Yeah. Oh my God, that's wild. That's like when E.T. came out and they just kept it in theaters for like two years. Yeah. Because people kept on going to see it. Um, wow. All right. So some other 93 movies that stand out to me. Um I'm going to, from this list, I'm going to say Groundhog Day, great comedy, sure. Army mm-hmm. of Darkness, part of my beloved Evil Dead trilogy. Um, some other good ones here, The Sandlot, uh, Jason Goes to Hell, Robin Hood, Men in Tights, Hard Target. Oh, these are all fantastic. How did Indecent Proposal beat any of these movies? <laughs> um, I'll also mention uh, True Romance, Dazed and Confused. Demolition Man, um, and a handful of sequels that I, I think are worth mentioning. What 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 sequels do we have in this list, John? I'll let you run through them. Good God, best of the best to uh, Children of the Corn two, TMNT three, which oh. it's like oh boo, like everybody knows from that era. Everybody yeah. who I know from the era agree with me. Like one and two, mwah, it's like a chef's kiss of like uh, a turtles fan wet yeah. dream put together. Then like team and T three, they're like, let's time travel to medieval Japan. Yeah. Oh my no, God. I no, I go to school to learn that kind of stuff. I don't want to learn that in my Ninja Turtles movie. What an awful choice. Ugh. Oh, oh, we saw that in the dollar theater. What a yikes! Oh. And that was in the dollar theater. Like it was like much. It was not that much later. Ninety three. That it was in the dollar. theater. Theater, yeah, like, yeah. This is terrible. Uh, Robocop three, mm, also Adam kind Sam- of a boo for me. Yeah, Adam's Family two, which had the Hammer song. Yes, Adam's Family. Uh, Sister Act two. I think that's Back in the Habit. Back in the Habit. Very good. See, when I was young, I didn't realize that Habit was the headdress of the <laughs> You're nun. Like, what's this title mean? <laughs> right. It's still a dumb title, let's be honest. Yeah, it is. But I mean, it's like, when are you going to use that as a double it makes meaning? Makes a little more sense if you understand it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Wayne's World 2, I thought uh-huh. that was entertaining. That's a fun follow-up to Wayne's World 1, and very similar to Wayne's World 1, I must say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Beethoven 2nd. Uh-huh. 
<laughs> my favorite title is Wrestling Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never heard of that. <laughs> That's, oh gosh, I remember back in the Predator Minute days, we talked about this movie a little bit. It was, oh. it was very much like a drama oh. uh, of right just people and their relationships and I don't know, poetry somewhere in there, but like Sounds I just love the image of someone wrestling, Ernest Hemingway. literally wrestling the author, Ernest Hemingway. What if you went uh, to that movie like, wait, where's the wrestling? <laughs> when are they going to wrestle Ernest Hemingway? Wearing your WWF, well then WWF right. shirt. Yeah, I, I did mention Tombstone is also on this oh, list. Oh, Tombstone. I could be your Huckleberry. Oh, I didn't think we mentioned Hot Shots. Hot Shots Part Due as a sequel. All right, that's a, that's a fun one. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Super Mario Bros. It was kind of the opposite of Jurassic Park, where everybody knew like oh exactly what they wanted to, yeah. what they wanted to see in a Super Mario Brothers movie, and then it being the total letdown. Then it was what it was. Yeah. What the hell? There's the Dark Half, which is a, an excellent Stephen King book based movie. Yep, yep. That's um, a kind of an underrated one, I think, as far as Stephen <laughs> King adaptations go. I don't think I mentioned, maybe I mentioned this back in the 93 Predator Minute episode, but I remember liking the short, was it a short story or novel? I think it was a novel, The Dark Half. Yeah, it's a novel. Um, yeah. I liked it so much, and I liked the movie so much that I did a presentation in high school, <laughs> my language arts class, about The Dark Half. I didn't wow. show anything, right? But like, yeah. I remember um, discussing it, and people were just like so perplexed, and they're like, huh? What? Like, but then again, like you look back, and they're doing like, Here's the Michael Jordan book. Here's the other Michael Jordan book. Right. Here's the whatever, whoever is the big athlete at the time. Just like the, just the stupidest, shallowest, glib, yeah. celebrity, whatever. Stuff you know, that's funny about. you say that because I was a big Steve. I am a big Stephen King fan, but I, I became a Stephen King fan in high school. I started gobbling up his books. And now that you say that, I also did a book report we had to just pick a fiction novel of our choice and recommend it to the class and give like a little presentation on it and i did a stephen king book i i did uh, one of my favorite novellas by him called the i think it's called the long road okay um which is it's uh it's like a short novel it's like 150 pages but Wait, it's pretty, I know this one. Running Man based on this? No, it's not Running Man. It's a pretty fucking dark story. It's about a group of children that are rounded up and forced to like do a race where they have to walk. And if they walk slower than a certain uh, speed, like four miles an hour or something, they just get shot. <sighs> and uh, so it's this story. Our main character is like in this race or competition or something. Um, it's a pretty dark story, but like it, it, it's still, it's one of my favorites by Stephen King because it's so like, it's so dark and like weird. Um, but anyway, I gave a presentation on this Lord. in like my senior English class or something. And I remember everyone looking at me like, what the fuck? Like, who is, is this kid going to kill us all? Like, what is going on? Oh my gosh. Okay. No, I think what I'm, what I'm gaining as this being inspiration for is not running man, but like all the stories where kids are killing each other, like hunger games, battle yeah. royale, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maze runner, um, that Barney show. <laughs> Right, like putting <laughs> show. Not the one where they all killed the dinosaur. Uh, oh my gosh, it oh, all comes back it all comes to dinosaurs. Wouldn't that be great if you were watching Jurassic Park and instead of the T Rex busting through the fence, it was just Barney? I love you. <laughs> and they all just shoot him and he dies, and the movie's over. <laughs>
Shoot her! <laughs> they all dance around him and sing that song while he's dead. <laughs> oh, you know what? Which uh, what I didn't talk about was Last Action Hero. Oh a yeah, Schwarzenegger, John McTiernan joint. There you go. Which is definitely like a, a cult family classic for my family. We're mm. quoted all the time. Uh, brother of the show, uh, brother of the show, Zach and I were just texting about the whole Kona phrase, ice that guy scene. Right, right. Uh, where Arnold blows up an ice cream truck, I think, and then it ends up sticking an ice cream cone in the back of Al Young's head, who's chasing <laughs> him. Kona phrase. Honestly, I think I, I can think of a good scene. There's one specific scene I would talk about, Last Action Hero, if I were to hmm. seen it all episode uh, well, from there. That'd be a fun one to pick because that's one I have not seen probably since the 90s and I don't remember much about, although I know that people love it. So um, it would be a good one to revisit. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely one I would argue was before its time where it yeah. was just totally making fun of the kind of movie and Arnold. Yeah. Uh, I remember meta. seeing it. Yeah. What's that? It's just a little meta about action movies. Oh, it's yeah. totally meta. There's yeah. just so many meta moments and Charles Dance is an excellent villain in it. Hmm. Yeah, anyway, so nice. 93 movies, uh, apparently adults were really, really hankering to see <laughs> people get it on in illicit ways and, and affairs in the movies to, yeah. and maybe put on makeup and fool their kids like Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, or just watch uh, Sly uh, climb mountains with no protection of any kind or ropes. Right, no kidding. Yeah. All right. Well, um, we should start to wrap things up here. I think what we're going to do is decide if this movie is better than Predator. And then I think we're going to do some recommends and then reveal our next movie. How's that sound? That sounds great. So I think this is going to be a hard one for you, John. Is this movie, Jurassic Park, better than Predator? (laughs) Um, Like a lot of these that I've said before, like it depends on the mood probably for a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah, if, I, if I'm feeling like in the summer mood, I'm probably reaching for Jurassic Park. But there's just there's that kind of letdown, in my opinion, really soon in the movie, an hour in. It's like it's all downhill. It's all falling action resolution for me in this movie. Whereas in Predator, that tension is mounting the whole movie. It's never released until the Predator blows himself up um, as Arnold runs away. Uh, so for me, I would say Predator wins but uh jurassic park is a it's a fine silver prize mm. medal winning movie especially if you're in that summer mood you're like i just feel like watching a big old blockbuster people at their top of their games in terms of like the special effects and the directing um i think what predator also has is like i i have much more memorable connections to the performances and the people in the movie predator versus jurassic park they're kind of like well a lot of people probably could have played these roles and they're they're not the they're not the showcase as much as like the people at the showcase and predator, even though the movie predator has a predator, which is an awesome creature design, awesome showcase. Um, it's really cool to have Arnold and uh, what's the other guy's name. What's Carl Weathers name. Ah, what's his oh, name in the movie? Uh, Dylan, 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 uh, and Bill Duke <laughs> as Mac. Mac, Mac, Mac. Yeah. Even the smaller parts like uh, Hawkins and Blaine and, I want to say Chavez, uh, Ponchino, <laughs> Billy. Uh, those those characters stand out to me a little more. So I, it, because I'm such a character driven kind of movie viewer, um, I connect to those to that story overall a little more than in Jurassic Park. Yeah. What about you, Jeff? Um, so this is also a tough one, like you said, I, and I feel like I say this a lot when we get to this section, like. <laughs> 
you could probably make a pretty strong argument that Jurassic Park is uh, objectively a better movie um, mm-hmm. in terms of its scope and filmmaking and special effects work. It was all pretty groundbreaking at the time. But for my like sensibilities of watching movies, um, Jurassic Park is great. Uh, but I think I differ a little bit from you. It's not one that I often go back to. I don't always have a hankering to watch it. Right. Um, I watched it a lot in the 90s when it was out. I've watched it a couple times since then. But I've seen it so many times that uh, I just know the beats of the story so much that um, it's – you know, I, I love it, but it's lost a little bit of its, uh, its, its luster, if that makes sense. Oh, sure. Um, just cause I've seen it so many times and I've seen predator a lot of times too, but, um, <laughs> I like, uh, eighties action movies and I like uh, sci-fi and, uh, and aliens and, and, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And so I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it to the predator here give it to predator predator wins. All right. I liked how, uh, Last week, uh, Elizabeth was just, uh, I didn't tell her that we had this segment in the podcast. I just sprang <laughs> it on her. And she was like flabbergasted that we both picked Predator. Over UHF. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That was pretty funny. Uh, it, was, it was fun to have her on. It was fun to have Absolutely. Uh, our first guest. All right. We, we'll do some quick recommends here and then uh, choose our next movie. So, um, John, do you want to go first on uh, your recommend for this week? Uh, let's do it. Let me look up the official name because I'm thinking like of the wrong. I was thinking like maybe I'm vamping a little bit. I was thinking maybe when we reach 20 episodes, we could like pick our top five movies from the first 20 of our of our picks. Oh, that'd be fun. I'm curious to, to know like what stands out to you as like, uh, yeah, maybe new discovery Mm. Or um, would it be top five movies or top five scenes from movies? Ooh, I think you got me, but I'm thinking movies because movies overall, yeah. Scenes, scenes, you know, they're just so different. Well, I guess the movies overall are really different too. Yeah, but we could rank them. We can do that. (gasps) Matrix Resurrections is out. Okay. Oh yeah, dude, it's on HBO Max. Yeah. Ah, Max. 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 Uh, yeah, well, I, I'm going to have to watch that with Sarah because she was really excited to see Keanu. Okay, I have my recommend. You ready? John, what are you going to recommend for us this week? <laughs> <laughs> well, I like how you get right to the point, Jeff, um, unlike some people. Anyway, uh, but uh, the wife of the show, Sarah, that's not like both of our wives' names. It's just my wife's name, Sarah. Uh, and I my were wife. watching my wife. My wife. We're uh, browsing the streaming services. We're in HBO Max. I can't remember what we're looking for, but up pops At Home with Amy Sedaris. Oh, wow. That sounds fun. No, but I like Amy Sedaris. Amy Sedaris is, yeah, as you probably know, this just um, hilarious, uh, irreverent, goofy comic figure. Um, I want to say she's a late bloomer in the comedy scene. I'm sure she was well-known by comedy aficionados in like the 80s and 90s but just in like the last i want to say 10 15 years she's really hit her stride sister of david sedaris right sister of i think that's what she was first known as as like oh that's the dude but to me i don't really care about david sedaris and reading his own books out loud like that never really did it for me (laughs) he'd pop up on npr all the time right right time to change the (laughs) channel but amy sedaris I, I, I think like truly embodies that kind of wacky spirit that I, I imagine a lot of the Sedaris 
uh, family have. Yeah, um, it's very and funny. Came up with this variety show where you take an episode that would normally kind of start with a, someone cooking a recipe and turns it into this experience of like having people over and cutting to different characters experiencing like just kind of wacky things um, all under the guise of just someone kind of running a really sincere cooking show. Um, <laughs> and if you watch that first episode, it just really takes a whirlwind trip through I don't know, these different scenes and these different characters to the point where uh, the businessmen who she's supposed to be cooking this meal for to entertain, like they show up at the end of the episode, one of them is Paul Giamatti. And like, mm. they're just, oh, it's just all hilarity ensues that she's kind of like this kind of a little bit of a Southern belle, just kind of entertaining. And like, there's this kind of gruff businessmen and she's made all sorts of goofy little you know things to eat for the meal uh, but the, the whole time it's like cutting away to the kind of these surreal bits it really reminds me of when um david cross and bob odenkirk had their show oh yeah Gosh, mr was, show was, was yeah just mr show where it was just it would just cut from one thing to the next and it would be like really just out of body sometimes and sometimes uh -huh. it'd be straight comedy that's what this is this is at home with amy sedaris you can find the what three or four episodes not three or four episodes sorry the three or four seasons only 30 episodes uh, on hbo max oh, wow there's a lot there yeah nice that's a good recommend i have to check that out i always found her funny yeah. um and and that sounds like it's right up her style of comedy sounds like a good uh, platform for her yeah i mean i first saw her on the mandalorian i think like and not, not 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 that wasn't the first time i saw her but that was the first time i saw her like and an actual big production where she showed up as like this Tatooine uh, spaceport owner or a space someone who's a spaceport operator, and she ends up taking care of the child of Baby Yoda a little bit as oh, Mando yeah, goes on right. some adventures. Yeah. And she popped up there, and she she pops up all over the place. When we first adopted a rabbit a few years ago, I was watching these rabbit care videos, and she's all over those. Apparently, she's very passionate about pet rabbits and huh. um, working with people to raise awareness and to um, learn more about um, how to take care of rabbits. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about you, Jeff? What do you have to recommend? Well, I'm going to quickly recommend that we all go watch uh, The Matrix uh, Resurrection. Is that what it's called? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I haven't watched it yet, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> by the time this uh, episode comes out, I'm sure we've all have watched it. Uh, but um, I'm excited to go see it. I've heard really good things. So go watch the new Matrix. And then my um, official recommend will be, um, I recently, I don't think I've recommended this before, have I? I, I recently watched the Rocky Four director's cut. No. Did I talk about this? Yeah, so Slice no. Stallone Slice took Rocky Four and recut it and added in a bunch of footage and took out some other footage. Huh. Um, and I hadn't seen Rocky Four in a really long time. So to be honest, I couldn't tell you what the exact differences were, but um, I had a blast watching it. It was really uh -huh. fun. Um, Rocky Four is kind of a goofy movie anyway. And uh, I was just kind of in the mood for something like that. Um, this was a couple yeah. weeks ago and um, yeah, it was, a, it was a good time. So check out the new director's cut of Rocky Four. Um, with even more montages. <laughs> wow, was there a particular standout difference you noticed or a standout scene? 
Um, there was a lot more. Uh, so at the beginning of the movie, they basically kind of did one of those things where they like show the end of the previous movie. Okay. Um, which I think was a change, but he added in a couple scenes to kind of fill that out. Right. Um, and then also took out a bunch of stuff that was kind of filler for the story. Like people online were screaming because he took out the robot. Um, <laughs> any and all the brother's robot. Yeah. You know, mentions of that house robot were taken out. So he took out some of the more mundane stuff like that. And, um, Honestly, it sort of played like beginning to end like a montage music video. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but it was uh I have to say it was I had a blast watching it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's good or not, but in the moment that I watched it 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 struck the perfect chord. I had just gotten home. I had gone to a, a football game, a college football game. I went and saw the Huskies and they lost really bad and it was really rainy and I was cold and wet and I came home and I was just looking for some comfort and um, I got all dry and I poured myself a whiskey on ice and I put on the new Rocky Ford director's cut and it was just the right thing. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So awesome. check that out. That was fun. Yeah. All right. Well, do. Well, are we at the moment when I reveal the next movie? Wait, have we done recommends? Oh, wait. Uh, yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs> Do we talk about Jurassic Park? We talked about Jurassic Park. Um, okay. Do we say it's better than, better, better than it? We've okay. learned. Yeah, two for two. Um, did we introduce ourselves? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Talking about the movies of 93. <laughs> um, gosh, I think that's about it for the show. So, for oh, wait, no. Oh, no, wait. 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 Whoa, record scratch. <laughs> Uh, okay, I'm excited to reveal the next movie. I have okay, to I think I know what it is. Do you really? Yeah, I think it's uh, Beverly Hills Ninja, <laughs> where Chris Farley is a Beverly Hills Ninja. Ninja. You're really close. These, oh. these movies are very similar. Um, <laughs> and by that, I mean not at all. Okay. Um, this is a movie that I think both you and I knew that we would be talking about at some point. It's just been sitting on the shelf waiting for us to talk about it. It was only a matter of time. And I've decided mm. that, that time is now. Is it, is it someone we've talked about before directing? Um, no, I, I love figuring this kind of crap out. Okay. So it's not the thing. No. Uh, is it evil dead? Nope. This is a movie. This, this isn't just like a Jeff movie. This is the reason I say that we would be talking about it is because we both love this movie. Is it Predator? No. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> we just pick a scene and then just publish that minute from. Exactly. We've done the work. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> I will give you a hint. Do you want a, a pretty big hint? Oh, yeah. Give me a hint. It's a movie that came out in 1990. Oh, it so, is. Wait, no. It stars Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> 1990 Arnold Schwarzenegger. So it's not. Is it Kindergarten Cop? No. Directed by Paul Verhoeven. Oh, it's Total Recall. That's what we're talking about. We're Roland's going to be so happy. <laughs> Who's going to be so happy? Roland. He's uh, one of the people. Oh, yes. Who, I think he's the only person who actually talks about the show on right, Twitter. Right, right, uh, right. But he's also, he's, he, was, he, was trying to, he was trying to convince us to do a Total Recall. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. 
is the center of your life. It is everything you hear. Everything you see. Everything you feel. It is everything you are. How would you know if someone stole your mind? Arrest that woman! <laughs> Quaid. Cut. Get ready for a surprise. We can't let him run around. He knows too much. They've got your bug. I get a lock. There! And the bug's in your skull. Take this thing out of the case and stick it up your nose. Don't worry, it's self-guiding. Got him. I lost him. You got a lot of nerve showing your face around here. Look who's talking. You erased your identity and implanted a new one. If I'm not me, who the hell am I? He's got a hologram! Welcome to Johnny Cab. Drive! Where can I take you tonight? Please fasten your seatbelt. I want Quaid delivered alive for reimplantation. That's for making me come to Mars. You wouldn't hurt me. After all, we're married. Consider that a divorce. You enjoyed the ride. I think there's one in German out there, so you know. So go learn German. But, um, <laughs> we're going to talk about Total Recall because I yes. know we both love this movie, and I love this movie. And um, if you're going to talk about Total Recall, I think the scene you have to talk about sort of jumps out. Um, we're going to talk about the scene when he is dressed as the woman and she says oh. two weeks. Two weeks. Oh. But I wanted to tease that out a little bit because I do like that scene, but I wanted to get a little more total recall in there. So I'm, I'm yes. going to pull back a little bit and I want to talk about a little bit of the scene prior to that. And then we'll also talk about, the scene when he's dressed as the woman, if you're okay with that. Yeah. So do you have timestamps? Yeah. So I'm going to go, I, it was hard for me. I could have made this like 15 minutes, but I, I, <laughs> hey, I've done that before. Right? No, I pared it down to about seven minutes. So we're going to go from a uh, minute 40, 40 minutes and 33 seconds, which is right around when he pulls the thing out of his nose with the tool. 
Right. Okay. 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 Tracking device, and we get a little Adjust bit of the moss. Yeah, we get a little bit of that scene because I really like that whole sequence. Absolutely. And then it'll transition into the scene at the uh, I don't know the bus station or the train station, whatever it is. Um, we'll, we'll we'll have to learn. We'll we'll talk about it. Yeah, and it'll end uh, at a forty-seven minutes and forty-four seconds for those of you keeping up at home. I mean, isn't it a spaceport? Yeah, I guess it's a spaceport. Yeah. <laughs> the old train station to Mars. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I meant. How long how long will it be on Mars? Two weeks. Two weeks. Oh my gosh. That's that's like Aaron and my it's like a catchphrase we say often. We'll usually try to lead the other one to say two weeks. Like, yeah. oh about how long away is that? It's like two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. <laughs> um, I'm just excited. I love this scene, of course, but I'm excited to talk about this movie. This movie is like one of my all timers as action movies goes. This had a big effect on me as a kid watching movies played mm-hmm. a big part in my kind of my, uh, development my development as a movie watcher. <laughs> yeah. My sensibility to what kinds of movies I like to watch. Verhoeven is a madman, and this movie is the ultimate blank check movie. Mm-hmm. Literal blank check. Millions of dollars <laughs> spent on this weird, weird movie. I can't wait to talk so about weird. it. Okay. I, I can't wait to watch it again. This is a, this is, I mean, honestly, weirdly enough, this is another one I will pull out and watch. Uh, like I watch Jurassic Park every couple of years. Oh, like I have a hankering too. for total recall. I have a hankering for when Arnold murders those guys who try to attack him, like oh, without God. him even knowing that he's uh, a secret agent. So many people die. It's uh, when I got my 4k Blu-ray player, this was one of the very first 4k Blu-rays that I bought. So oh, this was an auto add to my Amazon cart for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Total Recall. Get your ass yes. to Mars. Get your ass to Mars. Get your ass to Mars. Get your ass to Mars. Give these people the air. Come on, Cohagen. You got what you want. Give this people air. Give the people the air. Give this people air. That was, oh my gosh, I think I dropped that so many times in Predator Minute. Oh, yeah. This is one we quote often. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah and I will just say that occasionally to each other. Give these people the air. Give these people air. Cohagen. <laughs> <laughs> Melina, uh, please. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly blondes. Mostly yeah. blondes. Well, shall we wrap it up? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's wrap things up. So, Jeff, where can people find you? you can online? find me on the Twitter. I'm on the Twitter sphere, Carl underscore Hungus314. Come follow me there. My name is Carl been Expert. John, where can we find everything seen at all with Jeff and John? Well, Jeff, I'm glad you asked. We are also on the Twitter machine, although I don't really check it that much anymore. The 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 Twitter. I <laughs> from the phone. You say that every time. <laughs> I say it every time because it's true. It's true. I'll hop on to like watch a couple, you know highlights or something like that or someone mentioned something in the news it's like oh you can go there for the quick um like the quick footage usually but for the most part i'm yeah because it's not like people are really sending us questions or anything like that but they can uh, on twitter um at seen it all underscores that's at s-c-e-n-e-i-t-a-l-l underscore you can also (laughs) (laughs) sorry it's just yeah uh, you can also join the Facebook group. It's just the name of the podcast, Seen It All with Jeff and John. We have a new member hey. to the podcast group. 
Let me bring that up real fast. <laughs> is it me? <laughs> it is. <laughs> no, it's not you. Um, let me go to the place where I belong. Okay, so Brian H. just joined about a week ago. So right. welcome, Brian H. Thanks, Brian H. Do you know who Brian H. is? Brian Harrington? Oh, I do. Yeah, Brian Harrington. Good friend of mine. Nice. Oh. Brian H. Yeah. All right. Shout out Brian. to Harrington if you're listening. He uh, just texted me the other day. said, I started listening to your podcast and I really like it. So uh, <sighs> thanks, Brian Harrington. All right. Yeah. Um, a couple people actually chimed into the Facebook group. I figured I'd read a couple of their little lines. Uh, brother of the show, Aaron Zabriskie, um, says, my favorite line from North by Northwest, something wrong with your eyes? Yes. They're very sensitive to questions. <laughs> That's a good line. <laughs> yeah. And then you laughed at it. I did. Um, I gave it a laughy emoji. I'll give it a heart. How about that? Because it's my brother. Heart it up. Yeah. Because you're my brother. And then Joseph Parker says, the most prompt, because we're talking about corn scenes, as you do, <laughs> talking about a lot of corn. Uh, the most prominent cornfield scene that I've seen that you didn't mention is from Superman 3, which had Clark having a picnic with Lana. And then Superman saving her son from the corn combine. Also, when I think about crop dusting, the first thing that comes to mind is Randy Quaid's character from Independence Day. Oh, yes. That's a good call. Totally yeah. sprays the wrong field, I think, in that. Yeah. Was, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> what a dork. Not Joseph Parker. You're not a dork. You're awesome. Yes. Right. So let me clear that up. Not, not a dork at all. So I said that. Oh, you can also email the show, seen it all podcast at Gmail. Dot com and as I check the pod as I check the Gmail machine the Gmail 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 uh, there are no new messages. <laughs> <laughs> this this segment of the show is truly riveting. <laughs> uh, nothing new. Not even any new spam. I don't think. Uh, no. Okay. No new spam. So feel free to send the show some spam. However you like to do that <laughs> through Gmail or Twitter, which I don't check, but maybe I do, uh, and Facebook. And then, yeah, we'll read it on the air. So I dare you. You mm. don't have the guts listeners. No, you have the guts. You just maybe don't have the time. <laughs> um, and it's free. It's totally free. So go ahead and let us know what you're thinking. Let us know a favorite scene. It just might end up on the podcast. You never know. Never know. But for all things seen at all with Jeff and John, I am John Zabriskie. And I am Jeff Glover. And until next time. Stick around. Stick around. Stick around. Stick around. I don't want to do dun dun dun, dun <laughs> but I do want to do dun dun dun. Want to see T-Rex bit off Gennaro's spleen. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> Probably been a lot more off there. The T Rex probably has a real big peen. <laughs> well, not this one, unless she's already switched her frog DNA. Oh, yeah, around. that's right. Her frog DNA is working, though. It'll happen soon. <laughs> <laughs> then we'll see some big dino deus, sexual tyrannosaurus, if you will. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Just like me. Here we go. There you go.
You wanna see, yeah, you wanna see Like when the Xenomorph took out Harry Dean You wanna see, yeah, you wanna see Like when Bobby D says you're talking to me You can go to the diner for a meal with Meg You can yell at your class, stab yourself in the leg You can upgrade your boat for when sharks attack And you can be like Arnold, tell him I'll be back You wanna see, yeah, you wanna see Like when the Xenomorph took out Harry Dean you wanna see, yeah, you wanna see Like when Bobby D says you're talking to me Jeff and John talk scenes and quotes Jeff improvises while John takes notes From Mozambique to Montreal You can join in the chat on Scene It All You wanna see, yeah, you wanna see Like when the Xenomorph took out Harry Dean You wanna see, yeah, you wanna see Like when Bobby D says you're talking to me Seen it all with Jeff and John.